Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to another episode of Remap Radio. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and this is episode 17 for September 22nd, 2023. I'm pretty sure I've counted where we're at correctly, but I I couldn't swear to it. I'm sure uh, Ricardo Contreras will fix it in post. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you, Kato. (laughs) We also have Patrick Lepic. We had to convene the entire council. The, the the Chicago Bears are such a shit show that it couldn't just be Rob and I talking about it. Rob, we needed to get to the bottom of what happened the last 24 hours in Chicago. So we needed all hands on deck. And we also have Renata Price. Hello, I'm a podcasting gremlin and I live in a well. Pretty well. <laughs> well in, in, in theory, nobody will know that. Only that's that's a secret for... Kata will fix it in post. Kata, yeah. you think you can fix this? Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> oh, wow and when yeah and when kato sounds that, like that you it, know it's yeah. fine take that to the bank wow all right and as always we are a listener supported show if you enjoy remap radio and wish to become a supporter you can learn more at remapradio.com our website has links to our memberful page where you can sign up for monthly or annual plans to give you exclusive remap content and support the team and hey this is an awesome time to subscribe. Not not because of anything cool or, you know, that like anything extra we're going to give you. We're, we're always working on stuff, but whatever. I'm saying specifically that the tail end of the month is a great time to subscribe because it would protect me from monthly psychic damage. <laughs> See, we launched this thing around the start of a month and tons of people signed up for it. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love that you did that. It thrills me at the start of every month. It's it's great. But then every month from like the 18th to 23rd, it's kind of crickets. And every month I see like our revenue crater for a few days and I think this is it. This is going to be the moment tons of people have decided to jump ship and decided they're sick of this nonsense and they're going to they're just going to walk away and we're going to be left here trying to make this work. I'm like 25 30 bucks a day until the wheels come off <laughs> but, but listener at home if Wait, you have not signed no, up Rob. for some reason you can fix this you, you can go to remapradio.com and sign up and suddenly every month you won't just be paying for an ad-free podcast some extra shows you'll be striking a blow for mental health 
Rob, you have Rob, you sent me a message. <laughs> Dear listener, Rob has sent me a message in the last 24 hours that betrays much of this message, but I, I appreciate the spirit of it and getting it out to the community. <laughs> it's completely in line with it. it, it yeah, it's it all completely in line with your purchasing habits. Yes, 100%. 100%, mm. Rob Zachary. <laughs> also, Kato, Kato. Yeah. I figured it out. What what happened? I figured, I, I've been using this as like an idle thing to touch. That's it. It's, that's it. That's the yeah. fucking noise. What is that? Yeah. What? It's, it's just a, it's just a wire. Th- it's just a thing to uh, uh, oh, like, like a, a, vel- a coalesce is Velcro wires. On it? It's Velcro. Oh, you and son I of ju- a bitch! Goddamn. <laughs> Wait, how long has there been a mystery noise on? Patrick's oh, just track? one. Uh, just the most recent thing. But okay. I, I had done some wires because it, it, of the hot tub. It had happened once before this. And then it went but it's away. Because of the setup, it was because of the setup for the hot tub stream. And anytime that I'm doing something different than our normal setup, I usually have to like get some wires like bundled yeah, up yeah, and put away yeah. back in a drawer. And then during the sports podcast, I had set up my desk once again after being in a hot tub to finish Kingfields 4, the ancient city, as one is wont to do. <sighs> and during that, I was scrunching. And so it's here for just for Test purposes. I want to leave it in so people can I'm, hear I'm what I have to that deal away. with. That's behind me you now. Were doing that I'm not the using. Entire, how long was the sports pod this week? Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. It never the, stopped. It was yeah. constant. <laughs> I know. It's a hundred percent what I was doing. Yeah. Didn't you hear but him look, say we had to convene the full council? That includes this weird squeezy thing. It's weird. Yeah, squeezy. I got rid of it. It's gone. It'll never happen again. But I literally oh. just, I as Rob was doing the intro, I without thinking, and I don't. I don't need some people need like the, you know, the fi- fidget sort of thing. That's yeah. not me. It was just there and then became a fidget device yeah, for me. Right. And then as I squeezed it, I heard the noise. <laughs> the noise and I it sent was you. like, yeah. Eureka! <laughs> we found it. Figured it out. <laughs> so you're welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah, sorry, but also you're welcome. Yeah. Now that I know, and if I ever happen to hear it again for Whatever no, that reason. was that's gone. <laughs> that will never happen yeah, again. That is yeah. that is on that is back in the desk. I will never touch oh, that. So you're, glad you're it got set. to the bottom of it. There are lots damn. of things we now know. Oh, in yeah. particular, a lot of Microsoft's internal thinking around Xbox. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, this has been like the one of the primary sources. There's so much discourse, so much is going on uh, at all times right now. Much of it not good in the industry. This is actually probably one of the lighter stories uh, that we're going to be dealing with. But uh, there was a like trove of Microsoft internal documents uh, that that were leaked. And they touch on well, pretty much at, at like every aspect of Microsoft's Microsoft's gaming operation. Uh, first, like, what was the source of this? Like, how did how did we get access to all this? And then, what are some of the the, the juiciest things that came out of it? Well, someone at Microsoft, probably on their legal team, had a had a really bad day uh, this week. There uh, was over the course of the FTC's uh, suit against. The merger of Activision Blizzard and or the acquisition of Activision Blizzard by by uh, by Microsoft, there had been and this happens where things get submitted to the court and the redactions have to happen when they are uploaded for public consumption. Um, and even probably as a result of like not wanting to reveal competitive details, um, given the fact that that uh, lawsuit in, involves Microsoft and Sony, who are obviously um, longtime competitors in, in, in gaming and 
So there were instances during that lawsuit where things would come out, not be redacted, and then be redacted later to, like, comply. But obviously, it's the internet. Cat's out of the bag. Things would get around. Um, Here, it appears that somebody on Microsoft's side attached some documents, a a cloud link, according to, to, to the court, that really weren't meant to be shared at all, but was then interpreted as, oh, these are documents meant to be attached to this case as it as it winds down on the legal side. And as it turns out, what they had attached was a bunch of slides about the next eight years of Microsoft's plans for the Xbox. Granted, this thinking is a couple of years old. Things have probably shifted. But it has everything from we plan to launch our next console in 2028 to, yo, we're getting Dishonored 3, um, to um, a new controller, that has like a lift to wake function where when you pick it up, the machine will recognize you're ready to play and like kind of just get yourself set up that there is a refresh. Can't wait to of- use that and have Microsoft <laughs> then suggest I t- disable that feature to save the earth. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, to their credit, they've been uh, doing some pretty decent energy seeing stuff on the Xbox. Uh, they The Series X is getting a, a digital refresh uh, sometime late next year that will be have more of a, it actually frankly looks a lot like a machine that Kato has in their office, the Mac, the old Mac Pro, the cylinder, oh, the, the cylinder, the garbage can. That's the yeah, thing that I, the, the edit machine. Yeah, <laughs> the edit machine. Uh, there is a strong. Uh, I'll, I'll paste the image if you haven't seen it. Uh, strong. Uh, it was. It was eventually called oh, the garbage oh, can. Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, the problem is I'm gonna say can. like that's that's Alexa's home. Alexa lives in that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and that this mach- that this machine will like have a larger hard drive, presumably maybe a, a lower price. Uh, and and as and uh and you know we have uh, other announcements or not announcements, maybe more or less announcements, like a sequel to Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, a remaster of Fallout Three, a remaster of Oblivion, uh, Doom Year Zero, uh, just uh, like a whole, oh uh, a memo from lots of emails, uh, including a memo from Phil Spencer talking about wanting to acquire Nintendo, which. The internet collectively lost its shit about. If you think every company hasn't had a discussion about trying to acquire <laughs> Nintendo, then like I've got a bridge to sell you. Um, that is just yeah. you're getting a frankness in these because people are talking as though they are internal comms, not meant to be shared with the wider world. But everyone has done an M and A uh, analysis of Nintendo. And whether they could become part of their company. Um, and of course, Nintendo historically having a weak part of uh, Japanese development, Japanese support. Be like, wow, a way to plug that hole would just be to acquire the greatest Japanese game developer of all time. <laughs> um, Spencer ended up putting out a statement uh, saying uh, on, on, on Twitter, uh, we've seen the conversation around old emails and documents. It's hard to see our team's work shared in this way because so much has changed. And there's so much to be excited about right now and in the future. We will share the real plans uh, when we're ready, Um, which, again, like these documents are old, but at the same time probably represent to some degree things like hardware planning are not often things you can make grand pivots on, especially when you're setting up manufacturing, dealing, creating a specific box. And so I would be I'd be shocked if the Series X and the controller and things like that were meaningfully different than what we eventually see from the company. But uh, I, I don't know the way to leak of this caliber since um, I think, what was it called? The Giga Leak, the Giga Leak uh, from Nintendo, um, in which a lot of internal uh, design documents, artwork, prototyping, like 
historically interesting shit relative to this, which is like, oh, they're making a Dishonored 3. Exciting. But like Nintendo, a closed box of a company that doesn't explain their own processes. All that stuff was just historically interesting. And I think well worth uh, getting into into the world. Whereas here, it's more like, I, I guess, a couple of E3s um, got spoiled for, for us. Uh, I love the FTC's almost immediate response of it wasn't our fault <laughs> nah, nah, oh, damn it. Like, <laughs> it wasn't uh, us microsoft actually fucked up the, the uploading which yeah uh, I sh- it's yeah let, i'm trying to see if i can find the actual yeah the f uh, douglas farrar ftc uh, uh spokesperson immediately to anyone that would listen <laughs> yeah the ftc was not, not responsible, responsible for uploading microsoft's plans for its games and consoles uh, to the court website um which uh given the way everything played out there and some of the criticism laid at the feet of the FTC, you yeah. can imagine why they'd be like, yo, 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 not us, not us. <laughs> <laughs> Was, uh, Rob, anything anything stand out from, from this to other than obviously, uh, you know, turn this into a Dishonored cast? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think to a degree, one of the things that kind of stands out to me is maybe how predictable a lot of the upcoming planning is like the, the trajectory from here is, is is pretty straightforward and i think the thing that would concern me a little bit is with the maybe, like maybe maybe the acquisition stuff is meant to address some of this but like you know we've talked about it it, it seems like their pipeline for games that they make and the the things that they put the the, the blockbusters that they stake a lot of the company on uh, the thing that doesn't seem to be here is sort of a crisis plan for addressing that or like a long term vision of like, how do we fix up that side of the business? Like we ha- we have a release slate, uh, but we w- what we don't see, like we see a lot of plans for how we're going to evolve the Xbox platform and what the future of that looks like. What looks a little bit less present in some of these disclosures is well, what's the plan to make the Xbox platform more <laughs> a more appealing one? Uh, I, like, I'm not sure the discless cylinder thing is going to be the the, the thing that moves the needle. Uh, well, I mean, in some of these documents, there's some really like for one at some point in uh, 2020, Xbox was confident Starfield was coming out or like had, had, had pegged Starfield for 2021, which having played that game now, I've I cannot fathom what that game would have been like shipping a full two years ago. Like regardless of qual- like how you feel about that game from a, a quality standpoint, like I, I, the idea of that game having shipped two years ago is, is wild. There's actually like a whole arc here where there are a bunch of memos and, and emails uh, between executives at the company where, um, uh, let's see, let me, uh, Spencer writes, uh, in, uh, I feel like we have a huge hole in our games lineup. Yeah, no shit. That's the last 10 years of Xbox Spencer, <laughs> uh, before predicting a 16 month gap between the launch of Halo infinite in December, 2021 and the release of Redfall without quote, big exclusives launching on our platform. This is really a disastrous situation for us, given all we've invested in content across studios at our game, uh, past content fund. We need to learn from this and build a plan forward, which is, a wild thing to read when they are in the midst of launching a new platform after a disastrous decade, all told, for the Xbox One, where at the precipice of that next generation, you have the same problem in front of you, which is that we don't have a software pipeline. And as a result, they started doing a bunch of analysis of 
what games can we potentially acquire on Game Pass? And we don't know how much of these games are quotes. Is this a negotiation between the publisher and Microsoft? Is this them just broadly estimating what these games might cost to get in Game Pass? But what you end up finding out is, you know, a game like uh, 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 Suicide Squad listed for $250 million to get on Game Pass. Uh, Jedi Survivor, $300 million to get on Game Pass. Now, neither of those games, you know, Suicide Squad's not out, but like Jedi Survivor did not end up there. But as they're looking to plug a software hole, Microsoft's biggest weapon, and this is frankly, this is one of the criticisms that was levied against Microsoft in this in this acquisition is, hey, they have a bottomless war chest of money because of Microsoft. Isn't that in and of itself a reason to try and tell them to say no, to say no to certain things they're trying to do because they can just reach back in to the war chest all over again? Now, granted, these wouldn't make these games exclusive. They would just make them appear on Game Pass and hopefully sway folks in the direction. But I, I think it speaks to what you're talking about, Rob, which is a platform without a software direction. And I think Game Pass has been pretty sick and like a, a decent deal for a lot of people, especially if you're, you know, managing your subscriptions properly, um, you know, signing up for things, canceling things when you when you need them and don't need them. But uh, it certainly speaks to a thing that Microsoft still has not solved yet. And I think you're you're right to point out that broadly, it just sort of underscores something that we already know that if Microsoft didn't have Game Pass, they essentially don't have a platform. Yeah, it's it's concerning. I think the the other thing that like there's there's acknowledgement there that for all the emphasis they've they've placed on uh like plugging those holes in the lineup that it is not translating into a steady drumbeat of like not even necessarily major blockbusters right but just like decent you know decent like conversation piece games that'll you know cover three to six months of of the release here that that, that's not happening it's not a it's not just a dearth of uh you know returning to the days like when we were at sort of peak halo and the new halo was a you know calendar defining event it's also the I, I keep hesitating to call them mid-range titles because in a lot of cases they're not anymore for a stu- for a place like Microsoft the mid-range kind of has gone away but you know what I mean like small smaller triple uh, it, it's also kind of a, a lack of those and the fun the funny thing about it all is that you know it's I, I guess it's it's a bit like you know what, what folks used to say about EA uh, once upon a time and, and I guess increasingly are once again given what's going on with Bioware but like Sometimes a, a major corporation, there's just something about it that inherently they can keep acquiring productive talent. They can keep acquiring productive businesses. Something about the overall like meta structure of the company is going to, you know, put ankle weights on those companies uh, and slow them down. So it's kind of funny that, you know, the the Bethesda thing is, I guess, in the scheme of things, still a relatively young acquisition. But if acquiring the entire like Zenimax portfolio turns into, well, we got Red uh, Redfall, and you know, here's Starfield, and are you interested in some remasters of stuff before we acquired them? 
that that kind of it becomes a sign of like man something is something is like badly wrong in the micro in Microsoft's oversight of these prized possessions they've gone to a lot of trouble to acquire yeah and i mean i mean this is also you can't put all that weight on Bethesda right like this is how they've operated for like this is kind of how like Redfall obviously a, a misfire um uh, under under Zenimax like that broader umbrella but like it's like a Fallout remaster and oblivion remaster some of those things make sense because the games they're now like games that are even more modest than anything bethesda tries to create is at a minimum four-year endeavor and so anything that that bethesda is trying to make you can almost double that uh given the way that the style of games they make the, the the scope of the games they make so these remasters like certainly make sense from a business perspective because like you just can't count on a game from them except like essentially once 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 a decade but acquiring Bethesda then does not solve your problem like you spent a lot of money to get a game <laughs> that you're going to get once every six or seven years and their inability to turn around studios like Rare into producing things at a reasonable clip uh is 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 like remains ultimately the issue and you can plug all those holes that you want with game pass and it remains a pretty decent deal despite like recent price increases but it doesn't necessarily solve the the broader issue of an inability to conceive of develop and ship games that people would want to play exclusively on your platform which has been the problem for the xbox post xbox 360 yeah, in a weird way, they're almost like, <laughs> are they better served? Maybe it's not so wild to be like, let's pay $350 million for Game Pass rights to uh, Jedi Survivor, right? Because to an extent, if your pipeline's messed up in some way that you just can't quite get a grip on, well, it's kind of a good thing you haven't, there's 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 so much of the world out there that you haven't acquired because then you can show <laughs> up with your buckets of Microsoft cash and be like, you look like a person who can make a game. Would you like to let us give it to people for free on <laughs> on Game Pass? Uh and you know, like play the play the thread out that way. But yeah, it's it, it's kind of an odd it's an odd position that Microsoft uh finds itself. You know, it's it's not a surprise then it's it, it's it's not a surprise, but it does seem like there might be a sort of a circular logic where they keep seeing things close down and they're like, but what about an acquisition? What a, what about can you imagine if they got hold of Nintendo and the same thing happened? Like yeah. Nintendo already like kind of choosy about when they uh you know release sequels to their most beloved franchises, but just imagine that like you know baked in reticence combining with whatever's happening at Microsoft to sort of gum up the works and just like if Microsoft actually like if they were the dog that actually caught the car. Right. And Phil Spencer's like, this would be a career defining moment. What what an acquisition that'd be. And the end result is in like five or six years, people are like, Microsoft killed Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> that seems more likely than Nintendo uh, thriving under their corporate ownership. And more broadly speaking, it does actually put into perspective the Activision Blizzard acquisition. Because if you are saying AAA games are baseline two to three hundred million dollars to put on game pass for i don't know let's say six months i don't i it's, it's not in perpetuity it's it, it cycles through well you know the thing they can't do is ship games reliably uh and on time 
Uh, but Activision, boy, they sure do that with Call of Duty. And although Call of Duty is going to be on every other platform because of the commitments they made, for sure that's going to end up on Game Pass. And so every year that is in Call of Duty, do you think that's a $300 million Game Pass game? Like, no, that's a... 500 million, 700, like whatever active, like they could charge whatever they wanted. And so suddenly those numbers, while wild to be, to say 69, uh, you know, billion dollars or whatever it was, suddenly don't seem so crazy when you start seeing what the running, the going rate is for equivalent games to arrive on that service. You may think that's out of whack, but if that is the market price, you know, then suddenly they don't seem so wild for wanting to add those types of games to their portfolio if Game Pass is ultimately the long-term play for them. And these studios have proven, for better or worse, let Raven cook. Stop letting, you know, stop letting making them be a support studio. <laughs> um, but 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 suddenly that makes like a pretty understandable addition to to what they're doing between the back, the back catalog and just every year you're going to have what I would like conservatively say is like a billion dollar game being added to Game Pass suddenly makes the math make start to add up in a, in a, in a different way. A bit. I, I am curious though, you know, when I look at some of the trajectory sketched out here and just the fact that it is clear, like their, their, their path forward is game pass uh, and eventually in the future, like a, you know, more of a hybridized, you're like people will habitually be playing somewhat in the cloud. Right. Like there might be a local machine still in the picture, but there will also be a fair bit of cloud gaming. And it does seem kind of like there's kind of. It seems like a synergy should be possible there, but also sometimes like two things can be hard to execute at once because they both kind of require prioritization. And to a degree, some of this is pointing to, you know, maybe like this comes from maybe Microsoft's more traditional way of thinking about the industries they are in where it's like we are going to have a really powerful uh gaming platform right that people are going to be subscribing to use can be a lot of recurring revenue it's gonna be really convenient we're going to penetrate households that you know don't usually buy expensive computers or or consoles but on the other hand in this industry you kind of live and die by strength of the games library that you can bring to bear. And ultimately that is what motivates people to jump aboard with something. And overall, like the long-term trajectory seems to be pointing toward like hardware and platform is, is what we're, you know, really eye on the prize here. And the games will somehow in one way or another, take care of themselves. If only through acquisition, Mm. but it's not happening. And to an extent, I think, it, especially around this time, I, I suspect if you're Microsoft, you're starting to get a little antsy because even if <laughs> are they headed for a world where they have built it and it's not that nobody comes, but fewer people come than they think, because, you know, even though it's convenient, even though it's it's accessible, even even though the you know, even if the thing fundamentally works, people are still looking at what's available that is like associated with Microsoft associated with Xbox versus places like Sony, or let's be real, the amount of stuff they can play on their switch. And they're just not finding the value proposition to go become a Microsoft customer because fundamentally there's just still not that thing of 
you've got and i don't think it's a killer app thing the way it was like you know 15 years ago but i think it's just this this broad like is there a is there are there regularly things that are going to be interesting and engaging to me to go play here and that sort of seems like the thing that microsoft is is struggling to generate and the platformification uh you know the further platformification of microsoft games isn't going to solve that and it, it's i think i'd be heartened i guess to see that spencer recognizes there's a crisis but also i kind of want to hear the next part which is okay but tell me more about this crisis like <laughs> what's going on this is this well, is chicago bear stuff halo was oh, halo oh. isn't enough anymore right like it's well, it hasn't been for an entire era of the Xbox yeah. One. Well, like, someone Halo tell Microsoft for... that, right? That's the no, thing. I think they've, yeah, <laughs> it feels what like... has to be part, part of a portfolio as opposed right. to instead of you know, the the one with the, 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 the foundation the thing is is all built on, yeah. and like that's that's been one of their big issues. And I, I think has you know, it was a huge motivator for the, the Zenimax acquisition is what is the thing you come to Xbox for like when you think and it's like, okay, well, if we can get the people that like fallout to and Skyrim to think of Xbox, like that's a huge coup, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, Starfield has been a big success, but also like many things, I think it has been disrupted by Baldur's gate three, yeah. um, in a, in a way <laughs> that, I mean, nobody can see coming. People have been dunking on this. There's an analysis of Baldur's gate three in these documents that, they use the phrase, I believe, second run, which people have interpreted as second rate, uh-huh. which is not what that means. Uh-huh. It means like like that is a specific term that like that game was a Stadia exclusive. Like for I just meant it will come here after in the same way that a movie comes to on demand after it runs in a theater. Right. Um, and but I believe they had they had budgeted it as a game pass game as uh like five million which obviously seems quaint and silly now but like nobody no nobody <laughs> three years ago was looking at Baldur's gate in three and like this is going to be one of the biggest games of the next decade well hang uh, on though <laughs> didn't didn't the divinity series kind of already like you could say there's a trajectory of like Larian has tapped into something that they're consistently beating expectations. Now there's a yeah. jump in scale that happens. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, but I, that's what I mean. I mean, Original Sin, popular game. Original Sin Two, really popular game. But there's really popular, and then there is setting all time concurrent numbers on Steam. And I'm just saying, like, was five million undervalued? Totally. That means you didn't actually know what Larian has been doing in right. the RPG space right. for the last decade. Uh, but to, to, to like, to, to like, that's a lot of hindsight people are, are throwing on, on Baldur's Gate 3, yeah. I think. I, I will say that I, I do think that people assuming that Baldur's Gate 3 was not going to like, I, I, I pretty much assumed this was going to happen because like, it's not just the fact that Larian is Larian. It's also the fact that like Baldur's Gate 3 is currently coming into the industry at a time in which like, the TTRPG, we are in the midst of like a TTRPG resurgence and renaissance in culture writ large. And so like, if you have that ongoing with, I think, I think that it's reasonable to, to think Microsoft is a little bit goofy for undervaluing the, the confluence of a really well-respected developer at this point 
like being given a property that is basically a perfect fit for them. Uh, and so like, I, I think that you can be a little bit like, that's a little bit embarrassing, but I don't think that it's like a su- particularly surprising that a company did this. Um, Frankly, a lot of what happened, it's, it's a lot of what's happened to Larian feels very in line to Bethesda um, in which they're just a, a long time RPG studio making well-liked popular RPGs. And then, they just hit a moment. And like that moment, like, hap, you know, hap, I, I, frankly, not too dissimilar to Larian's uh, Ascent over the original sin to Baldur's Gate in which, look, I, like, I love Daggerfall too. Um, and Morrowind, like, great game. But like, those games weren't that popular by the scale of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Then Oblivion comes along and is like this massive hit combined with the launch of the Xbox 360. And then Fallout 3, like, sends this studio, like, you could call it the stratosphere, but then that's, like, pre-Skyrim. And, like, th- that's, even like, like right. it hits a similar it sort of, you begin, could have done a devaluing. It begins the ascent, right? It's the yes. first. And then all of a sudden, it's like, just like a, 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 <laughs> like a firework was la- launched underneath it. Fallout 3, Baldur's Gate 3. What is it about the threes in RPGs? Something about the, and also, like, made by different developers. Yeah. Yes, like, di- yes. like you know, what I mean, like the like, third Mikado, instance. You're on to something. <laughs> Phil Spencer needs to invest in threes. in threes. Miyamoto's rule of threes. Oh, is that why Microsoft there's... needs to buy Nintendo? Is that why there's like three skews of the Xbox? God damn it! <laughs> Shows up in the next meeting with one slide. It's an X, and then the vertices of the X are filled in to create four triangles. <laughs> Or they just need to do a remaster of BMX XXX, XXX if you remember that game. I mean, it's just cool to have chicks on a bike topless. <sighs> like, that's what video games all are all about these days. Yeah. I think, going back, though, to, I think, this is just a, a random thought that occurred to me while you were outlining the trajectory of Bethesda, though. I think one of the funny th- I think there was something easy to over-ascribe importance to. In the saga of Bethesda, which is that the trajectory of the games they were making, it was very easy to see that they were also leveraging hardware power and translating that into more possibilities. Now, yes, I'm fully with you, weird Daggerfall Stan in the year of our Lord 2023, (laughs) who's like, none of these games have anything on Daggerfall. You want to see a big world? Go back to Daggerfall. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm telling you, look, that was a very big world. It did look an awful lot alike, one corner of that world to the next. But even so, huh, this is this another dungeon, or is this one of the ten other dungeons that I've done over the last ten hours? Oh, this is a totally different town than I thought I was at. Shit, it's been months <laughs> since I played. I, I, these, these city gates all look the same. But but the point is, it was easy, I think, to look at the Bethesda trajectory and be like, and I think Bethesda kind of looks at it this way too, where it's like bigger. <laughs> bigger world Burger. more stuff for you to do Burger. explore climb taller things see further go to further away thing and it's very easy to see that as like <laughs> uh technological commodification in some ways right where okay we've we've cracked the code like you're just gonna throw more money behind these things and leverage like greater hardware power to create bigger and bigger games but the other thing that you could see in the in the bethesda trajectory is that they were exposing new audiences to the type of shit they've been doing for years on PC. Mm-hmm. And people were getting a taste of a particular type of big RPG experience. And they liked it, and they wanted more, and they wanted more for years. And 
in some ways, like this appears to be what Larian is tapped into as well, which is, you know, this is, I didn't play many games like this. So this is a bit of, uh, you know, backward projection, but like, it does have a lot in common with with the original Baldur's Gate games and those themselves. There's there's a little bit of like gold box, uh, you know, in those. And this is just like the the biggest, most modernized version of that. Uh, but, but but Larian has, has tapped into the core of what those types of experiences were and what what made them appealing to a lot of folks. And then added a lot of like humor and presentation and a lot of fun that sometimes was absent in those older games but to a degree there there is an element of history repeating here right which well, is that you know this stuff was popular and successful in one context lots of audiences weren't really exposed to it someone figures a way to translate it run yeah i'm just i'm just thinking about the ways in which like there is a pretty significant structural difference between something like Baldur's Gate 3 and and Fallout, right? And and, and Fallout 3 is like an inflection point for like uh, a particular like studio's growth because like I I will say that like the the power of the license, right? The power of the the property of Fallout had been like pretty much burned to the ground by the by the point that Bethesda picks it up. Fallout tactics. What are you what are you saying about Fallout tactics? <laughs> I'm not saying Brother, shit about no, Brother, I'm not saying, Brotherhood of No, those games go. are bad. I'm saying like, shit about yeah. Brotherhood of Steel. I'm not saying shit about Fallout tactics, but I'm talking about like Have we reclaimed Brotherhood of Steel? Do people think that game's good now? People is think that Fallout tactics? People think Fallout tactics is like pretty like if not like good, at least interesting. Wait, are these separate games? Is Brotherhood of Steel and Fallout Tactics different games? Yes, Brotherhood different of Steel is a PS2 dungeon crawler. <sighs> oh, okay. All right. But you're right right. that the license meant nothing. Like, they called it a three, but there was not a mainstream constituency for Fallout. Right. Uh, It did not exist. And also, while you're right that, like, Rob, I think you're correct that, like, you know, the technical aspects were a big jump, right? Because, like, what is the technical aspect of Fallout 3 that, like, makes Fallout 3 impressive to the, like, random console gamer in 2006 or, like, 2007, right? It's the fact that you can pick every object up. Every object you can like pick up and it has like physics and like the, the world is like systematized and modeled as like one of the things that like is like a useful technical thing. And I don't know how frequently Bethesda's like technical elements actually interact with their systems enough versus Larian where like their systems and their technical achievements are inseparable from one another. The, the For me, like the impressive part about Baldur's Gate 3's like technical achievements are that like objects matter like not only do objects have physics but also like they talk to one another even if the physics are not perfectly calculated things talk to one another in the world versus something like bethesda and which like objects all follow the same rules and do not speak to each other but their existence is in some way impressive and like you know that is like the thing that informs like a lot of like later fallout games right the fact that like okay we have this tech that means you can pick up every little object and like everything is modeled and and touchable in this way let's make that matter uh, th- this is all like b- borrowed from a really great uh, video essay series that noah cobble gervais did in the fallout games uh, where he points out like this design progression i think it's like worth noting that like that is a very different progression uh to larian but i think like some of I just look at it and I, I the the sort of mistaken assessment of where uh, Baldur's Gate three was probably headed and mm-hmm. sort of missing the momentum that was sort of building behind uh, Larian, and then maybe sort of the 
the overconfidence a little bit in mm-hmm. so in how much uh, limitless appetite there is for the Bethesda style RPG. I think what the thing that is very easy for a company like Microsoft, especially to fall into, even if some of the people aren't totally like soulless corporate goons who might as well be making widgets. Like that's definitely like the Bobby Kotick model, right? Is like that dude would be, and I think has been like just a, a, a general like corporate CEO will make anything. We, the consumer, you know, it's a consumer cyclical or something who gives a shit. It, you know, it's, it's just product, put it out there. Uh, I think it's it's very easy to look at your with these acquisitions, especially you're looking at the stable franchises and IPs that you're getting and you want it all to be predictable and steady and say, like, all right, it's time for another one of these tent poles to come out. People will love it because they always love it. You know, this is the kind of how Halo ends up getting treated uh, in subsequent years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the thing that's easy to underestimate is that eventually people do need novelty people do need to do something different and see something different that's true in games i think it's true in movies i think there's a lot of places where it's it's very easy for a while because sometimes these moments last a long while where you think you crack the code and it's like we're just going to exploit ip and we are going to make games that are fundamentally the same but they're a little bigger a little there's a little more chrome on them uh, as hardware improves, but fundamentally, like like clockwork, we're going to feed people these experiences. And that can go for a long time, but eventually, I, you know, you sort of hit saturation, and you'll the thing that gets missed in that production pipeline is is sort of the novelty. I don't think it's, I don't know, you know, I don't know how many people ended up being like, fuck, I'm going to buy Pentiment or something like that. But I don't think it's an accident that like one of the weirdest, most off the wall things they tried ends up being like kind of a beloved. Uh, cult hit uh, mm-hmm. the, the type of thing the game pass really needs more of mm-hmm. and in or part xbox, and xbox as an identity right like what do you come here for like increasingly you know see where it lands but like rpg is like a term i'd associate with like xbox like they increasingly have games that operate like in in that in that space uh, even if their series x or series s requirements prevented Baldur's Gate 3 from launching on their platform and accidentally gave Sony an exclusive. Whoops a daisy. Don't don't want to say that. So this is a little bizarre coming from where they used to be as the like they were the FPS console. If you wanted to play the FPS of the time, it was you get an Xbox. Even for a long while there, I don't know how widespread this was, but at least personally, I just assumed at a certain point that Call of Duty was an Xbox exclusive, like in the middle of like uh, after Modern Warfare 2 or something, because that's just how intrinsically tied it the like vibes of they that had the market they had the marketing deals as yes, well exactly, right like exactly. so that was a i think part of that was that's where people were right that defines the 360 yeah. era is xbox live was mature before anyone else's stuff xbox live xbox right. live makes multiplayer very easy and also activision and microsoft get real cozy on marketing deals and then what happens in the ps4 era is sony goes oh, oh. shit and spends <laughs> a ton of money yeah. to acquire like First day, like, beta access, first day DLC, like, map exclusives, and also just what's the logo you see on the advertising is PlayStation, and then tied with them just running a better platform during the PlayStation 4 era. Suddenly, now, when you think of Call of Duty, it is thought of as a PlayStation machine, and, like, that's how quick that can change from one generation to the next. Yeah. Uh, 
This reminds me of a funny thing I saw that's kind of tangential to all this, but came out through these leaks. Let's keep going. That's fine. Like, we just, where, take us on another turn, Kato. I haven't, like, found this corroborated, but there was this weird thing that happened with uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon and its release. Uh, it originally came out for PS4, mm-hmm. and, like, people were like, well, where's the PS5 version? Like, obviously, there's a PS5 version coming out, and they, like, were. They didn't like say much about it, and for a, a while there was like a, a a theory that Xbox had paid for like a timed exclusive deal that they had to stay like mum on. But apparently, what actually happened is that Sega signed so many deals across generation, gr- gr- different deals for different generations that they like worked themselves into a backwards little pretzel of like they can't actually release any of these because they can't like the, the exact breakdown is. They had exclusivity. Sony had exclusivity in Japan, which is why the PS4 version came out first, right? Yeah. But they had also, uh, they also had uh, a parody clause. Sega had a parody clause with Xbox, so that Series X, a PS5, and Series X game had to come out at the same time if they were going to come out. Um, so they. They weren't gonna make a Series X version because there was, uh, there was that exclusivity deal, so they made the like older like the what was the the one the 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 older Xbox ones came out a little bit later. Oh, the One and, X. Yeah. God, the fucking name. I still don't know which generation is which at this point. One X previous. Series, Series X. X. Xbox Morrison. One. Yeah. It's your cable box, but it's a console. Mm-hmm. Xbox One. Hey, X. I, Maybe it should be a know, console. I got to be honest. I, I liked that little cable plugin. I actually used that on my Xbox for a little while. A little while. So, so like as, a, as an HDMI receiver was not the, the worst idea. In the so world. yeah, orig- Sorry, original, original launch in... Japan could only be the PS4 and the older the older generation stuff. And instead right. of like because they could make they could make the Xbox Series X stuff for the rest of the world, they just threw all their development time into that, released that, and then circled back around to Japan to finally release the PS5 version in like March the year after. Like they this was like a November game, and people for the longest time thought there was some weird shady background deal of like Oh yeah, Xbox just paid to delay the PS5 version for as long as they possibly could. And it turned out it was all Sega's weird, like, multi-leveled, just, we're gonna try to get as much money at, at, out of both of these platform holders as we can that worked themselves into a, a strange corner where the, the development got really strange for this game. It's just... Well, that, I mean, Xbox, Xbox in general has, like, there's a really interesting... Like, Sega's really gone all in on yeah. Game Pass, and... Because Xbox is not a dominant platform in Japan. It's even a lesser platform in Europe, although not it's competitive. But PlayStation is the preferred platform there. Their best market in terms of competition is in in North America broadly. Uh, But that's why every Sega game, like all the Atlas games, all the Yakuza games show up on Game Pass because they're not losing anything as a result. Like (laughs) as a result, because like they're not there's no sales happening in Japan. So they might as well. Like sign with Game Pass, take the big check, and frankly, it, like it has accomplished in my mind. I think of Yakuza and I think of Xbox more frequently because they constantly sort of like do those yeah. co marketing deals. The games are announced day one for Game Pass, including the new one uh, that's that's coming out. Um, so yeah, just just 
weird, yeah, but very funny. Hilarious. But it's like, Just, but it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, which is like tied up in this the acquisition deal yeah. with Activision Blizzard was this question of exclusivity. It's like, well, what is it? What, what does it mean to be exclusive? Does it mean you pay for a marketing deal that like the game is exclusive to your platform for a year? Is it that it's not on a platform ever again? Is that it's you in the marketing, you're promoting it as a plate? I mean, it's just, it gets very confusing uh, uh, very fast. And for like third parties that are unacquired, it becomes a lot harder to make that sell, I feel like, just because of how expensive games are. Like you need the widest reach possible as you can get. So like the that the like money that Microsoft has to pay out has to be higher and higher in order to like possibly get those deals outside of just acquiring, which is what they're doing instead, right? Is that like we will simply buy you and therefore your games can be exclusive as if we want. I wonder how much the Yakuza games cost. I'd be I'd be curious. Yeah. They also do all the Persona stuff as well. I imagine it's not very much. Yeah. Um but Hey Patrick, before we move on from this, look, I just gotta check on one thing. Was there anything in the documents about Hexen? No. <laughs> See, that man is a fraud. Well, again, lies. these are, this is 2020. Phil is Spencer 20, lives are, on the throne of lies. <laughs> these are old documents. And again, Rob, we're going to do that stream. We're going to, we're going to go through the Raven catalog. We're going to raise awareness. Um, we're going to get people talking about, about these games. And like between you and I, we're going to, we're going to will, we're gonna will this into existence. safe point, but it's remap acquiring a studio. <laughs> dude, 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 yes, we, just so that we hey, can we create we our can own. Do own this. <laughs> we can't run the Chicago Bears, but we do think we could be create co-creative directors on a new Hexen game. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So I guess the the other thing that's been going on this week is, I guess there was no reason to think things would have hit rock bottom with embracer group stuff uh over these past couple weeks but for some reason i did i i did think like well surely they're not going to just continue bleeding but it looks like the bleeding is getting worse patrick well i believe the timeline they had set for what they were calling massive restructuring which is just a code word for heartless layoffs uh because they don't have a plan because they the money this company existed on free money for the past couple of years. And now that money doesn't exist anymore. Uh, yeah, there was a number of layoffs at places like Crystal Dynamics. You know, we talked about in the, on the show a couple weeks back with uh, Zalavir uh, Nelson Jr. about the closure of Volition. I mean, there, there are rumors, not rumors, there are, are credible reports and Gearbox has admitted internally that they might be sold because the embracers like, I guess we'd rather take the money from the sale than actually sell any of these games uh, that they're that they're producing, and you know, and Crystal Dynamics is a studio that, of all the companies under Embracer, is actually in a pretty decent shape because they Embracer signed a huge deal with Amazon in regards to Tomb Raider, uh, in, in which like that Amazon's trying to make that a property that is associated with Amazon between film, television, a big new Tomb Raider game from Crystal Dynamics, um, and other plans, and so you'd think. Of any studio in a comfortable place, it would be Crystal, but that uh, appears to not be the case. And it's just all indicative of a, a company that they ran like their deal for more free money, the Saudis, evaporated for whatever reason. And oh no, we don't have free money. Oh, 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 oh yeah, we have to make games, release them, and make money off them, and then release. 
Oh, that's not not what we signed up for. <laughs> not we, we signed up for to Hoover up IP. Blank, 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 make money. And like, unfortunately, like the blank, blank, blank part turns out is extremely hard. It's why so many people fail at making video games and making a prop doing it. Uh, and they I mean, I expect Embracer to broadly transition over the next couple of years into just an IP sales warehouse as opposed to a company that actually produces and sells video games. I I think they are, they entered the video game market and are now in the process of exiting the video game market and hoping to make more money along the way by selling those properties because they bought them cheap and in bulk. And now we'll sell them singularly off to different, different rights holders. Um, and that's like tragic because the reality is that lots of people are going to lose their jobs along the way. And it's not exactly a seller market to be going into at the moment. No. And like in all of this, does it seem like they, as things have emerged around this, I'm, I'm, like I haven't been tracking this too closely, but like, is there much evidence that they had projects actively cooking and moving toward like release after these acquisitions? Like, does it feel like they did they ever spun up the games making machine or were they just in full like cocaine brain acquisition mode and they hadn't really even built out a plan to turn these various acquisitions into output if you use uh like crystal and idos which were like some of the like more high profile acquisitions the studio or the company has done over the last couple of years there were I think it was a report from Jason Schreier at Bloomberg that, it, you know, they there were various levels of games in production and just spitball phase, like to the point where they were they were actively talking about what is a new Deus Ex game. And like that was something they were actively hoping to move forward on, even if the game was. For five years off, if, if you're at just the what is a new Deus Ex game mean, um, you know, outside of the most recent set of games. So there did seem to be, you know, the, I think the hope for a lot of people was like, oh, they're just buying companies because money's free and it's cheap right now. And maybe they'll just kind of leave them alone. And like law of numbers will work out for them. We're like, okay, these games don't make much money, but we licensed Lord of the Rings. We like, we're, like it all kind of works out as, you know, as a plus in the end, but because so many things have worked against them. And I think we talked about this when Saints Row came out and underperformed. It was like, oh, Oh, they're realizing what everybody realizes. Why we're cynical about a Netflix getting into games. It's like, ah, it's super easy to make a bad game that doesn't sell very much. And you look back at four years and tens of millions of dollars and go, oh, man, should just put that in bonds. That probably would have been a better use of that use of that money. And it, and and the thing is, like uh, uh, Lars Wingfers, I, I think is the name of the executive at, at the head of Embracer. That I, I cannot shake. And it's why I did the profile of it at Waypoint a couple of years back about him being a kid at a candy shop, spending millions of dollars to acquire every video game ever made so that it can exist in a vault underground in Sweden. He's just a kid with action figures and does not give a shit about the consequences of those. The kinds of person that spends millions of dollars to have a private vault of video games that exist underground is the same kind of person that thinks I can run a video game company. I can do it. And like manifestly what we're discovering is no, you cannot. And he won't be impacted, impacted by any of this. He'll be ultra rich at the end of it. But in trying to, you know, 
please the shareholders because they're a public company. The one nice thing I like about all of this Embracer stuff is they're forced to talk about it in public. And like, he just has the most uncomfortable, like public, like shareholder meetings, whereas you can just see right through him. Like I'm bad at this. We got bad news to report. I suck at running a video game company. And so that's like the one pleasure I can take while unfortunately watching a bunch of people lose their jobs, but it's a, it's a bad place to be. I don't know if this makes any monetary sense, but like the, like at this point, the only like thing that I could like pull from this is that they wanted just as many IP as they could get. And oh, yeah. don't ultimately care about actually making things with it. But like eventually the plan is you license that out for that's where the actual but money they bought studios and kept running them so yeah that, you know what the, i mean like it's one thing, thing. to buy crystal yeah. dynamics if, and then say hey we're shutting them down but keeping tomb raider and then selling that to activision right or to, to amazon but like that's not what they did well, so i think part of part of the story is definitely that and this happened across a lot of like okay so why was silicon valley and tech so attractive investors why were they swimming in money because interest rates were so low for such a long time that a lot of traditional investments where companies and investors, a lot of excess cash, where they tend to put the, that money, it didn't actually make a ton of sense to put the money in those assets because they didn't have a very high return. So like you had this this mania across uh, investment banking to be like, we need to find places where we can put money that's going to generate uh, returns above you know, basic interest rates right now. And that's because uh, the the rates were so low. So you have people are willing to dump a lot of money down a lot of rat holes because they released the potential of like interesting and exciting returns, uh, you know, on, on your investment that more traditional boring investments just were not going to do in that in that market environment. And I think who had more money to throw around than anyone was like the uh, Saudi public investment fund. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't just games they were doing this and they were, they were, you know, investing money across a lot of different sectors. There's a lot of talk about their sports washing initiatives, trying to get hold of uh, like, well, really, I guess if you said, if you were to say, what was the broader strategy? They were trying to get a hold of a lot of cultural capital um, across the world and get like the public investment fund enmeshed in the cultural life of people outside Saudi Arabia. The thing that blows this all up, and this has been happening, in, like this is also behind some of the tech layoffs, is that the minute interest rates change and you start saying it's not just recessionary fears, it's that suddenly a lot of boring ass investments that haven't looked good in like 10 years, suddenly they ain't bad. Like if you're sitting on a big pile of cash, it's like, you know what? What about like what about like large scale commercial uh, uh, like deposits? Uh, what's what what about what about like large scale uh, bonds and such like and, and such like that becomes interesting. And this is these are places where nobody was sinking money. And suddenly these these goofier acquisitions, these other investments, begin to look less good. And you start paying more attention to the numbers of like, hey, there's a lot of money being pissed away here. And uh, it feels like this is kind of what got Embracer is they had this blank check. Because where else was the money going to go? Mm-hmm. And then the environment changed. And suddenly there's lots of other places the money can go. And they get pulled. But the other part of this is 
I do think with some of these people who are effectively proxies for other investors and investment groups, I do think, Patrick, that description of the character uh, of, of Lars Wingford, is that is that it? I think so, yeah. I'll double check it. Um, I think that comes up a lot where it's people where suddenly you get to be the person making the deals. You're wheeling and dealing and you're getting to talk to people and be treated with deference by people. You're like you're like a little prince. And I imagine that can be very addicting and very exciting. But and you can fool yourself for a while into thinking that it's all because of you, that there's some sort of innate worth to you. And you are such a genius. And these people are telling you, like, you know, how excited they are to work with you and how awesome your plans are. It's easy to think as you're surrounded by that, that like, you know what? I am fucking awesome. And I'm going to save the games industry first by putting in a big vault, but second by putting together <laughs> all my, all the best developers uh, under one roof and dot, dot, dot profit. Mm-hmm. And then the minute the people who actually control the money are like, no, nah, no, we're not, we're not going to continue investing. The wheels come off so fast because fundamentally they didn't have money to operationalize these acquisitions. You know, everything was tied up in paying above market for these acquisitions. And the minute that second round of like, and now we're going to fund this entire massive, this massive company we've created, uh, just in terms of like assets that we're, that we're holding. Now we need to turn it into a machine that's going to produce games. Uh, and that money doesn't show up. It's devastating. And yeah, it does, it does suck the, de- the degree to which. The people affected here had no control in this. Um, you know, you just find out your company is sold. I would bet you most of the people being laid off in this were not, didn't have stakes where they they, they enjoyed some of the profits from the, the sale of the company. Uh, this is entirely a, well, I hope things are the same or better, but we don't know. And then, you know, the the bet got called. Uh, you know, as, as further investment wasn't forthcoming. And now the only thing left to do is looks like fire. Like first it's going to be brutal cuts and then, yeah, probably Patrick fire sale time, right? Unload studios and then hold on to the IPs that you think you can get massive maximum extraction for, right? Uh, for minimal effort, time. right? Like there's so much IP hoarding that has happened that you can imagine a scenario in which, I don't know. You're just doing re-releases on Steam, low stake stuff. Every once in a while, a bet pays off and does better than you expect. But being in the double A, triple A space just requires a certain level of expertise and management and risk that the embracer is not prepared for. Again, like I, I go back to this profile I did where I asked, "Why? What's the plan? What do you plan to do with all these games? Is it like meant to be a historical document? Is it a museum?" and Lars didn't have an answer. He's like, I'm not sure. We'll figure it out later. And that epitomizes what has occurred with Embracer was, I, I'm Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, I'm getting these things. I'll figure it out later. And and he didn't have a plan. It was just, I can I can acquire these things. Well, and then the, the games will appear. And then so will the money. And it's like, well, yeah, but you got to have a plan to do that. And you didn't. And so it, really what you did was no different than acquiring every video game on the planet with no plan to show anyone what, what, what would be interesting about that. You acquired a bunch of game developers with no plan on what to do about that. Other than it's just interesting to have a bunch of game developers and you got a cool Wikipedia page, but now that Wikipedia page is being filled with, you're also incompetent. 
and all those game developers going to be functionally destroyed before all said and done. Like, are you going to cut so deep uh, and then, you know, deplete the talent pool so badly? And then probably in the process of unwinding a lot of this, divorce them from the IPs they are associated with and could most easily translate into upcoming projects. Uh, Yeah, like this is the tragedy of stuff like this where where we all lose out is to a degree the toys this guy is playing with aren't really his to play with. Right. Like there, there's an element of, uh, you know, we all lose when a lot of interesting and good developers are demolished by mismanagement uh, and rendered into shadows themselves. Uh, we have no say over that. Neither do the people who work in those places. Uh, but it is just very upsetting to think about how the hubris here may cause a lot of like longstanding and admired studios to get kind of gutted in, in all of this before the dust clears. Um, hopefully it doesn't all come to that. Hopefully like the bleeding does stop at some point to, uh, you know, salvage some of this, but who knows at this point, it, it seems like it is, it, it seems like it's a minute to midnight over there. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah. And that, you know, for his, you know, there wasn't, uh, I wish I had the article in front of me, but there was someone that wrote something to the effect of like, it's been a terrible year for video games. And the point they were making was stuff like this, as opposed to like what's in front of us is actually 2023 has been an incredible run for amazing video games to play. But the underlying metrics of the industry, I think, are troubling in in many ways that that point to long term trends that are that are that are that are going to bubble up in, in the future, even if we've had a year in which like there's just too much good shit to play, including stuff that we'll get to later in this podcast. And, and it's just, I don't know, you know, that combined with all the unity stuff, which, you know, there's, there's not much to update people on there other than like, (laughs) they've just kept backtracking without actually uh, saying that they're not going to, they haven't fully, they have not just said, we're not going to do it. They just keep saying we're regrouping. And it's like between all of this stuff, it's just can't help but throw your hands up. And I don't think there's a way to, you can back far enough, like if you can track far enough back, like I, I don't know if there's, there's a way to repair that. Stuff. No, there well, is. And- uh, you screenshot a twit longer post and you're good. <laughs> so true, Bester. So I mean, when true. you, when you have the developers of Terraria, like probably one of oh our singu- like singular examples of like so just good. an enormously successful independent video game. Um, I, I'll just read their statement just because it's probably worth reading in full. This comes from the studio Relogic that is behind Terraria. Uh, the team at Relogic has been watching the recent events around Unity with both interest and sadness, the loss of a formerly leading and user-friendly game engine to darker to the darker forces that negatively impact so much of the gaming industry has left us dismayed, to put it mildly. While we do not personally use Unity outside of a few elements on our consoles slash mobile platforms, we feel like we cannot sit idly by as these predatory moves are made against studios everywhere. We unequivocally condemn and reject the recent... Uh, terms of service and fee changes proposed by Unity, and the underhanded way they were rolled out. The flippant manner with which years of trust cultivated by Unity were cast aside for yet another way to squeeze publishers, studios, and gamers is the saddest part. That this move was wholly unnecessary pushes things into the tragedy category, a cautionary tale the industry will not soon forget. We do not feel that a simple public statement is sufficient. Even if Unity were to recant their policies and statements, the destruction of trust is not so easily repaired. We strongly feel that it is now uh, equally important to get behind some of the other up-and-coming open-source game engines, lighting some candles in an otherwise dark moment. 
To that end, we are donating 100000 to each of the open source engines listed below, which is both Godot and FNA. Uh, additionally, we are sponsoring each of these projects with $1,000 a month each moving forward. All we ask in return is they remain good people and keep doing all that they can to make these engines powerful and approachable for developers everywhere. Relogic has always been supportive of game developers and indie studios that do things the right way. We feel that our actions in this moment are the best way to carry that mission forward. By accelerating and strengthening competing open source game engines, we hope to empower and assist studios that are struggling with how best to proceed given these recent events. Which, fuck yeah. Like, that's that's how you do a statement <laughs> and then use your war chest, because Terraria has just made an ungodly amount of money, uh, to hopefully make the playing field a better place, depending on... Like, again, like you said, uh, Unity has gone scorched earth. Like, if they were to cancel the these changes, it still is probably going to lead to countless developers wondering, how do we pivot off this in the future, even if we're stuck at the moment? The uh, uh, Caves of Cud developer yeah. uh, <laughs> porting their entire game off of Unity before Unity could make a second... Uh, a second statement was particularly damning. It's just like that's really funny. Yeah, yeah, and like not not feasible for most no, uh, like game developers, it's but like, that's cool to see to see that done. Yeah, people are like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm gone," and like trying to put examples out there of like, yeah, there's other things. There, there's a way out. It might take a little bit more work, but you know, we don't have to put up with this as developers, mm-hmm. right? No, it's it's one of those things where I think there's a, there's a lot of classes of business where in the back of your mind, you always think, man, if these people ever really wanted to like mess with you, they really could. <laughs> but the critical thing is that companies shouldn't ever do that. Right. Like you have to like it's a bit like Steam. Yeah. Right. Like Valve could turn around and be like. Welcome to Steam Plus. And here's a, you know, like mess around with it in some way where like you end up having to like pay some sort of like ret- recurring fee to continue to use your library the way you want. Like Valve could probably do that. I don't know what the legal ins and outs are, but like they could probably do stuff to abuse that market position even more than they already exploit it. But the the thing is like once you do that and once you say that like not only now is it dimly possible that they could really screw with you. But actually, they will. They're looking for ways to be like, how can we turn this relationship into a really toxic and exploitative one? That bell can't be unrung because the minute that dependency that people have, but they've been able to live with it because they've never seen worse come to worse. The minute that appears on the horizon. There's some people who might have no choice but to like grin and bear it. But everyone is going to be looking for that way out, especially in terms of long term planning of like, how can we not be dependent on these people moving forward? How do we go to a place where we're never in this position again, where someone is such a cornerstone of our business and we have no control over what they do or say? And I, this is the you know, this is the real miscue here with with unity is that. There is no repairing this fully. They could they could. Even if they changed management and walked back a lot of this and and really like wailed and and rended their garments publicly and such and and, and tried to reassure people this would never happen again, that could repair things somewhat. 
but you would never get back to that place where people are sort of reflexively considering unity as like, yeah, that's a good safe bet. Like I'm going to, I'll use that. That's, that's what I want to be the cornerstone of, of my next project. You're all now, everyone is going to be looking at this as it, <laughs> it's a, it's a rattlesnake, right? Like mm-hmm. that thing might just decide to strike and uh, you know, they will, they're going to have a hard time clawing. The, like the goodwill is gone, yeah. Uh, but the thing, the the real lingering damage is going to be the deep mistrust, uh, and it won't even necessarily be about who is running the show or how their communications are. It is just now the fact that that thing that people dimly feared was possible briefly appeared as like, yep, this is the direction they want to take things, and now that awareness is out there, Unity can't ever go back to that relationship they had with developers before um it's a a massive blow yeah mihoyo who like obsessively was one of the big impetuses behind this change i've already like they have announced they're moving off unity for future games right like it's you you've lost good work ritello (laughs) just you know unity just a gold the gold standard of executive leadership (laughs) well and you know, the other part is <laughs> things like this are a bit of a heat check. And it's also clear a lot of people have not been happy with just how Unity has been developing across the past few years. Right. Like there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of folks who in one way or another have seen it as already a product that was declining in quality and reliability uh, in, in terms of just how it is being run, how it is being supported. So that's and not that's focused exclusively part. on games, right? Like their, their, their literal market share, like what they're interested in has gone so far beyond video games. And I'm not surprised the games part has been lacking for developers that use it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's that, that is a, that is a sudden and deep hole they have dug themselves. Uh, so while they look for while they look for a shovel and see about digging up, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break here and we'll be back with the second half of the show. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. 
thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, Remap Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week. And then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed, right on budget, to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, that's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. So, Patrick, uh, you have gone back to, well, are you, have you gone back to Night City or have you gone back to a different city that's an expansion city? Either way, you're back in the world of Cyberpunk 2077. Well, I started in Night City and then had the game tell me, hey, the update's so big that your build doesn't work anymore. So do you want to assign 35 skill points again? Um, Phantom Liberty is the, yeah. <laughs> the big yeah. uh, singular <laughs> expansion to Cyberpunk 2077. A game that came out at this point three three years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, years I think ago. I, I think it'll be three in December. Uh, and you know, I you know I've not played as much as some of the reviewers have. I've played like four or five hours uh, of, of Phantom Liberty, but it does seem like three years later that CD Projekt Red has perhaps made the game that they intended to make. Uh, Oh, those no. many years ago. <laughs> so um, I'm curious what that means, because for like to give you. So my diagnosis of cyberpunk in a lot of ways was it led with its absolute best stuff and was a glimpse of the game you were hoping you were going to play uh, in terms of like cool, cool concept at heists, really cool slate of characters that you meet in that initial in, in that initial what turns out to be the game's prologue and then unfortunately it kills off pretty much all of that uh and then moves you into a much more conventional uh like open world rpg with less interesting people to do stuff with and less interesting mission and quest design to support it like the game leads with its best stuff and then turns into kind of a lackluster uh first person watchdogs in in a lot of ways so in terms of turning the game into what they intended it to be, which which avenue did they go? Did they, are they fixing up sort of the minute-to-minute gameplay stuff that you're doing? Is it more investment in the big narrative uh, moments? You know, by all accounts, it seems to be a bit of column A and a bit of yeah. column B. I mean, there's a reason that they – so CD Projekt Red has been saying this publicly, and I think it's probably true 
that your best experience with where the game is now is to start from scratch and play the game from the beginning and have Phantom Liberty, the expansion into a place called Dogtown, like happen naturally in the story, like come to understand all the new builds and all the new skill trees because they have they have just ripped all that stuff out and started not quite from scratch, but really rethought exactly how do these skills talk to one another? What do these skills do? Invented new skills uh, like whole cloth to support different build types that ultimately ran into sort of walls uh, in the original construction of the game. And that what they're calling 2.0 is a free update to the game. You do not have to have Phantom Liberty in order to get that. The base level Cyberpunk 2077 is a much better from a balance perspective, from like a, a character perspective, like the character you're playing game than it has ever been. Specifically, the character that I sort of ended up with when I played through the game about a year ago was a melee-focused, uh, like, blade-wielding, knife-throwing character that, like, frequently found themselves hiding behind things. Well, Patrick just Go- creates himself in every game he plays. <laughs> Cannot <laughs> help himself. And and I ran into some limitations there because the game didn't have enough movement abilities. The what you could do with the blade was pretty limited. And it's like, it just seems like such a kick-ass character style that was just not supported enough by what the game had in front of you. And what was so exciting about Phantom Liberty and the 2.0 update is all of the new stuff they've added to make a build like that so much more interesting. For example, uh, in piloting vehicles now, you can take out your weapon, including my sick katana. So I can be on a motorcycle, katana at my side... (laughs) fucking people up i have a perk (laughs) that blocks bullets and sends them back to enemies i have instead of just um a dodge mechanic i have a dash and so i am literally like ghosting forward back left right um the 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 melee attacks in cyberpunk are a strong uh uh uh, or a weak like a strong and then a counter attack if you hold the strong which is really just you know like what and it just does more damage. Now that dashes me at the enemy that I am looking at. And so I am just doing extremely cool. You can now, uh, I've invested a bunch in the slide where my slide takes no stamina off and also is twice as far. So I am essentially sliding across rooms and can reload and fire while I am sliding and then also (laughs) whipping my katana around. I'm just about to unlock a perk that doesn't just give me a dash on the ground, but allows me to double jump and then air dash in whatever direction I want. And so it just makes this character that I was mostly in my head. It was cooler in my head than the character I was playing in practice, playing the game. And it just seems like they looked at, hey, a lot of people are doing melee builds or doing blade specific builds because we put in a ton of blades into this game, but didn't necessarily make it very fun for those characters. And so the 2.0 update as a baseline suddenly makes that far more interesting. And I really wish I had had all of that stuff when I played through the baseline game. And then something that was true of, this is true of a lot of games, like especially these big open world games, the expansions like are the secret place where like the writers and quest designers just go wild because they are working in more constrained spaces. They are telling more constrained stories. I think The Witcher 3 and the, like the base game has a bunch of good quests. They're they're you know like the Bloody Baron, yeah. But like 
there's a lot of what's happening in that game that is like coming together to create an incredible experience. But the best storytelling happened in Blood and Wine and the other expansion that I'm forgetting. But the two Heart major expansions, Heart of Stone, like the best shit in that game is happening in those expansions. Blood and Wine specifically is like all time some of favorite storytelling I've experienced in a game in in years. And I c- can't speak to like where Phantom Liberty lands. But from the go, it just feels there is an aura of confidence, of focus, of like just well-developed characters that is in some ways only possible when you're working in a smaller area. And also is probably reflective of multiple years of looking at what this game's strengths and weaknesses are. A different team is working on this. Some overlap from the original game, but also a team that's essentially just doing Phantom Liberty before they... Uh, I set off to make the sequel to, to the game um, that CD Project Red has said they're already uh, planning for. And so it just seems like a much more, like I was not super psyched at the notion that CD Project Red said, Hey, cyberpunk 2077, very successful game commercially. Like from a, like a design perspective, like I don't know that I came out of that game going, wow, solid foundation. Go make that sequel. Can't wait to see what you did. It just seemed like kind of a mess. It did. It seemed like a studio that, that made a follow up to The Witcher Three, and it didn't hit any nearly any of the highs of that original game. And I wasn't all that excited. I was more excited for them to do a Witcher Four than I was for them to do a Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven sequel. In what I played of Phantom Liberty and the lessons learned that have been applied to that base game, I feel like so much more excited to see what they do with this world whether it's these characters or a new slate, um, just like the dent, like one thing that I'll notice, uh, Rob is like, this is almost less about, uh, Phantom Liberty or, or even 2077 is, uh, our time in Starfield. Mm-hmm. And then you, like, I didn't find night city to be all that interesting of a place, but it was really pretty and it was pretty dense. And when, after having spent like time in Starfield's version of a city, of trying to depict a place where people live and then going back to Night City, it is remarkable how lived in these places feel compared to anything that's happening in Starfield. Starfield feels so static and boring and uninteresting relative to all of the small details and world building that's happening here. I think Dog City or uh, Dogtown, the uh the one of the, this new place in, in Night Dog City that City. Uh, yeah, immediately the mind reels. Sorry, Take me I wanna, there. I want to go to dogs. I haven't met any dogs in Dogtown uh, yet, Aww. unfortunately. It actually seems I, I don't know. If, uh, there actually seems to be uh, some inspiration from Oakland specifically. Maybe that's just what I'm seeing because you you one of the first places you go to is a big football stadium, and it's se- it, I can I, I can only think of my time going. What was the, the was black it the, hole. the black hole um, in in Oakland to go see uh, Raiders Bears games? It seems like there's a strong Oakland vibe happening uh, in this area, and it's just the way you're walking through shops, the way you're walking through merchants. It just you buy it. I 100 percent buy what they are selling here, and it's interesting and it's compelling. Like I, I the, the setup for Phantom Liberty uh, is that you get called in by a net runner to like, hey, we need your help. This 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 character called Songbird. And as it turns out, the president of the uh the new United States of America is on a plane that's been cyber hacked 
is coming down. And like, cyber need crashing. To, yeah, and cyber <laughs> crashing. Well, the missile fired at it didn't help. Um, but uh, it crashes, and then you need to meet up with her and try and get her out. And then what you start to unravel uh, is like a grand sort of like spy conspiracy sort of thing amongst the the new United States government, yada, yada, yada. It's a cool setup. Like, like I had to go, like, early on, I had to go and find, like, an a- an actual phone. You know, people don't, like, actually use, like, you have to find a phone dug away in a an old restaurant, a moving, a moving parts. Keanu Reeves has to tell your character V, like, no, like, you, you know, you, you hold up the phone like this. It's just, it's very charming. It's very good. I'm, I find myself extremely excited to play more. The... The lighting, I'm, I'm, how much of this is like running it on a high end PC versus what's happening on PS5 and Xbox? I cannot, I cannot say, but it is just fucking like knockout gorgeous and just so cool to look at. And it's a really, you know, that game uh, by all accounts was a slog for those developers to make, um, that they were exploited on the way there and acknowledging all those things. I don't know how much that studio has changed. I cannot speak to it. I have not done the work and I have not read reporting to illuminate that. But I do think there's something extremely cool about the fact that if if you never engage with Phantom Liberty, years later, and yes, it is years later, they have produced and like completely rebalanced this game with brand new features, brand new skills in a way that like shows a real commitment to like, hey, we kind of fucked up. Like, we're going to make this game right. And does it make the base level Cyberpunk 2077 a, a perfect game by any stretch? I think it's actually a pretty mediocre one with some 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 good real highs. The main character V is awesome. Like, I do like her uh, quite a bit or however, however you, uh, you know, end up having V identify. But, like, the character of V is great. And it just makes playing this game so much better. That, like, sets me up to be very excited to see what else is in Phantom Liberty and what else is... Uh, lies beyond for cyberpunk because the one of the things that's made me excited is in seeing reviewers talk about it is that hey you're going to want to explore every nook and cranny and do every side quest that was not the case in 2077 like me streaming it was a lot of me people telling me this side quest is cool this side quest is shit this side quest is all right and then me trying to sort through what was actually interesting and it seems like with phantom liberty they've knocked the storytelling out of the park they've rebalanced the game to such a degree that it's a meaningfully different game Uh, And it's a cool story to see that for as rocky as it was when it came out, like, okay, so the president's plane has not landed. It's crash landed. But like the plane that is Cyberpunk 2077 seems to have landed in a pretty good place. Nice. I've been thinking about going back to it. I I looked at the Steam page. I I, I stared at it for a long time. And then I shook my head and I said, not today. Well, maybe now that 2.0 is out. As literally happened today, too, right? The way the day we're yeah. recording this, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the patch is out ahead of the expansion coming out. Um, Four days, I believe. Yeah. 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 Because um, yeah. I, I see people on a Discord that weren't posting in other news 23 gig update. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I think there's a I think it's a really good time to get into the game if you were at all interested or turned off by the, the way things rolled out. It seems to be in a much better place. And Phantom Liberty seems sick. Yeah, I I do like it is overwhelming to I, I think they had put out a build creator so that you could mess around with the skill tree ahead of release. That's probably still available. I feel like I saw something about that on the Steam page, but it was definitely kind of overwhelming to boot up the game 
get a phone call. It's like, hey, do you want to go like here? Songbird's calling. Do you want to go to the new area? I was like, okay. But then the game is also like, hey, you're in end game level territory, but also none of your skills are applied. And then to sit and redo all those. But what's also awesome, and I love games that do this, and I hate games that don't, zero punishment for applying a skill and then wanting to retract it. There's no item you have to use. There's no pool of thi- like resource that you're coming. It's like, here's your skill tree. Oh, you didn't like the things are there? Take it off. Apply it somewhere else. Do you want to just reset from scratch? Try a whole different um, like set of skills? Go right ahead. Uh, and that part is great and freeing and I think is frankly kind of necessary, especially if you're coming to this game with a mid to late game save. Because you can't start from the end of the game. You have to start like a little bit earlier in order for for, for it to all work. And I found myself like going down a skill tree, thinking about that build, bringing it back, reapplying. But they make it very easy and seamless uh, with no consequences to uh, figure out. Uh, yes, and, and Kato has yeah. pasted the build planner um, for the, Cyberpunk. This is the uh, thing that they... got me to reconsider was when they released this, it's just like, here's the entire tree of everything that's available have here's a bunch of points see how you can like make a like end game build they are I, a well-known slot for theory crafting it they... it's there's so much there's so much like the it has the perfect amount of like this sounds amazing on paper and i'm super curious how it like actually translates which it doesn't often happen like in the original trees that 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 skill tree didn't have that pull of like, wow, that sounds like really cool to do because most of it, a lot of it was like 10% more damage, 5% more damage in this specific situation. And some of that obviously still exists in the tree at small points. But the big thing is that they added new, more interesting actual like skills that change the way you're playing the game. Like that for example, cool I, have a, <laughs> I have a health, I have a health regen um, upgrade uh, perk where when I'm sitting still, my health is slowly regenerating. The faster I run, the more that skill is regenerating. And so because I have this melee build that is constantly on the move, as I'm attacking, as I'm moving around, yes, I'm taking fire because I'm like the game is broadly full of mostly gun-based enemies and occasional melee melee folk, but like I'm rewarded for like the move that the the uh the movement based character I've made in a gun filled world because the perks then scale yeah. to my playstyle and reward me for that playstyle instead of feeling like a punishment and they added um, put they, in an air dash yeah they added an yes. air dash they added a bunch of perks that are like now okay. if you're dashing and or running you're like incoming damage resistance goes up right like it makes it so that you Correct. take less damage as you're like right like the specific sort of like uh nuanced things that they added to like make different types of movement in particular which didn't feel that good unless you were getting like super high-end cyberware like there's some of these things kind of existed if you were getting like the most expensive cyberware and you had like text that way but it seems like they moved a lot of like the like like the base dash and the slide and the stuff into a more like yeah that's just on the tree now the cyberware will make it even better if you're like going down that route but everyone has a, the ability to do side dashes and air dashes if you want to perk into that right and for, and for example move, like the honestly. the uh the optical camo which I think like 
was functionally didn't do a whole lot for you in yeah. Cyberpunk, the base level game. Like it was like a pseudo invincibility. But now you there's a new uh, upgrade tree in Phantom Liberty where you're upgrading your actual like relic, which is like the technology that you is killing you in the game. Yada yada yada. I don't need to get into the story, but like it's there's a new set of things you can upgrade, and one of them is it makes you fully invisible. You can just exit combat, and you can imagine for the character type that I'm playing. That is incredibly yeah. useful where a group of seven enemies are in front of me and like I'll get in hack slash, but all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed. I've used up all of like, you now have I a, forget, yeah, exit. My, my cyber mana, like what I forget what they call it in, mm. the, in the game, but you know, like you're, I'm waiting for that to recharge, but like I can get in there, fuck up, fuck like half them up, like drop the equivalent of a smoke bomb, run out. My health is recharging along the way. And you just start to see how the build makes so much more sense yeah. for the game in front of you in a way that it really feels equivalent to a sequel level respecking mm-hmm. right. of the skills and and player dynamics. Not something that you would get in a like I think the 2.0 is not overstated. If anything, right. it's understated. It reminds me a lot of, I mean, to return to talks about like expansions and like how they work generally, it reminds me of an older school of expansion uh, that like actually does do like full like systemic changes. I feel like the the completely, not just new systems, but completely redoing original systems is is a hallmark of like much older PC expansions. Um, and and seeing it here is actually like, I think, I think really neat um, to see what that looks like at this scale. Yeah, and so I'm, what I'm trying to decide now is I've, for a while I've been, so I, uh, th- the way my character usually approaches combat is I have a knife that I can, I'm usually trying to, like, use that for stealth, like, working my way, like, through a set of enemies that I'm, I'm not standing in the back, I'm just wh- whipping it at their head and getting a crit mm-hmm. and just watching them hit the floor. And then my, my knife recharges. I don't have to fetch it. It just reappears in my hand, you know, 20 seconds later. And then I have a sword that I'm, that I'm using like in, in middle combat. But I, I've had this assault rifle. The game has a couple of what they call smart guns, which is basically, I don't know, vaguely shoot over there and the bullets will w- make their way to a number you of the enemies. And the you can bullets. In, yeah. It'll yeah. curve the bullets. And like, you can kind of just like syndicate 2012. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, <laughs> but if, I think I might be switching to a, a sniper rifle. Cause I like the idea of this character that can be, taking pot shots from a distance, causing chaos, then getting into the mix with my invincibility. I've also heavily invested in both uh, Contagion as one of the cyber hacks, which is basically Mm. like the game's equivalent of poison. Yeah. And so... Poison that can also jump to people, which is Yeah, I have upgraded it so that it jumps. And so (laughs) you're looking for group... Like, like, essentially, like, what you want to do is, like, fire off a sniper rifle and, like, sets off all the enemies. They group together cast contagion all of a sudden they're all like oh uh, uh, and then i dart my way down with an air dash and just start picking everybody apart with uh with my katana um is it's it's great i i'm really excited to play more of this um and in a different world where i had more time i think i absolutely would have started from scratch just kind of just experience like figuring out that build from from the beginning but um, like most expansions, it's easy enough just to jump in and you'll get a phone call that lets you uh, make your way over to, to to Dogtown. And it seems pretty self-contained. Like you can just follow mm-hmm. the quest lines here, finish that up, and then go back to the to the main story. And I believe the expansion adds 
like one new ending. I don't I don't know exactly how how it works, but uh, I believe it does add something to the end of the game if you want. Yeah, you to. go to Dog City. <laughs> and it's just so many good dogs. You meet good Dog, dog Keanu Reeves. Is there? Yeah. <laughs> Remember that little fellow from John Wick? He's there too. He's there too. Oh, he's alive <laughs> here in the in the internet. Oh, oh. good to see. Uh, Patrick, you're not the only one who'd gone back to a game that was maybe not all it could have been at launch. Uh-huh. Mine's not yeah, crashing right. my PC though. Uh, my understanding is your hey, that's mod only is... happened two or three times deep into something <laughs> I've really invested a ton of time into. Uh-huh. So, as you all know, I'm not a very suggestible person. <laughs> but occasionally, you're out there on oh, no. YouTube. Kato, Kato died because of this hypocrisy. <laughs> what, killed, what killed them? <laughs> you're on YouTube watching stuff like Justin Fields game tape. Stop. Justin Fields, Lugetsi, bad. You know, just you know, just checking out just checking out YouTube videos. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. something comes mm-hmm. up where it's like, this is the greatest Empire Total War mod in history. It's effectively a brand new game. And the thing about this, and I think this came up when we were doing, when we looked mm-hmm. at like what, what are my top five like Steam games. I think Empire might still be up there. It's also one of my least favorite Total War games because like it was so ambitious and so broken, but the ways that you, you kept playing tons of it thinking like it's going to unbreak, right? Like the good stuff is coming and <laughs> it, it never really did, but I love the setting so much. I love the the overall vibe of it so much. I, I, I pressed through uh, and they did cut down an ambition, made it a lot better with Napoleon total war. But that core idea of like empire total war, it's going to cover, you know, the entire 1700s up through the Napoleonics. Uh, it's going to cover, you know, Europe, India, North America, like all these all these major theaters of like imperial and colonial struggle in the, in, in this era. All this is going to be in this game. Has Creative Assembly ever made a game like this? No. Does Creative Assembly have any real experience like trying to do the paradox uh, strategy game stuff? Of, like and we're going to try to capture the ideological and sociological tumult of this period. No, they never done that, but they were, they were going to try Game didn't work. Game wasn't very good, um, but I played a lot of it. And it's always been one of those things where it's like, you know, if only if they could have just they could have just fixed a few things, i.e. all, all of it. That would have <laughs> been quite the game. So enter. I tried this a few times, different mods. Uh, you know, one of the one of the big mods for that game was Darth Mod, uh, who was sort of a famous Total War modder, went on to make uh, Ultimate uh, General Civil War. Uh, and and prove that like he had some real chops as a as a game designer making games like this, uh, but that couldn't fix it. He made like more historically accurate battles with like better uniforms, but it didn't fix like the game still kind of broken. This new thing called Empire Total War Two Extended is like one of those. Um, it, it's a mod that it's a total conversion that synthesizes a bunch of other mods, as is often the case, uh, but is meant to make the game slower paced uh you know more ambitious tries to flesh out more faction stuff uh is basically trying to turn empire into maybe what a lot of us hoped and so i was like well this person on youtube says it's pretty much a brand new game so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it no one's ever been stir- stirred wrong <laughs> by a hyperbolic YouTube video. Who also, is, no one, 
no one has ever said anything wrong about mods. No one has ever oversold a video game mod in human history. Especially <laughs> not someone whose channel appears to be talking about like one or two specific games and needing to find new content to ring out of those beats. Yeah. The but greatest anyway. mod of all time? Yeah, dude, that's, that's real close to the video I saw. <laughs> and anyway, until the war sucked me off? <laughs> <laughs> so... Fuck off. So I'm playing this thing and it's very big. It does some things that I appreciate. Like it basically breaks the UI and makes unit recruitment a game of where, where's Waldo? Because what this game with what some of these modders understood is that people who real fans of 18th century warfare know that like armies generals pff, dime a dozen. No one cares about that stuff. Prove you really know what's up and talk about which regiments are your favorite. Who has the coolest, which regiments have the coolest uh, uniforms? Which regiments won the greatest battle honors across 30 years? It's like fantasy drafts of like, uh, oh, well, this 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 Highland regiment was just unbeatable on their day. They were the they were the best. They were the best regiment in the league. And so the UI where it used to be like musketeer grenadier. And you get little portraits of those. Now it's like a ton of units with like the portraits overlaid in slivers of each other, slivers of each one being visible that you slowly mouse over because they have like 20 different historically accurate regiments like loaded into the unit selection. So you can like try to figure out which one you, you want to build. They're functionally identical. And yet you're sitting there being like, well, obviously I want the crown prince's lifeguard unit. Got to have those guys. The big change they made was the battlefields are huge. Um, it somehow they like busted the cap on how big an empire battlefield can be, which actually this legitimately does add a lot. Uh, it allows them to expand the range of like artillery in the game. It allows them to have musketeers actually open fire at decent ranges, which solves a major problem, which is that in empire. It didn't feel that different from like the swords and spears total war games where everyone's sort of running into each other because ranges were so slow because the map uh, so small because the maps were so small that like it it didn't feel it didn't feel good. It didn't feel like quite like it lived up to the promise. Now it now it kind of does. But that's all come at a cost, uh, which is that. It doesn't appear to be the most stable. And it doesn't seem reliably unstable either. I can't point to the things that, like, what's causing this thing to crash. But the other thing that expanding the map size might do is that the, the battles are way slower now. Because armies mm. take a little while to find each other. And there's a little more maneuvering to, to suss each other out. And so you might spend about 45 minutes pre-positioning and sort of beginning the opening skirmishing of a battle. And just as it's really getting going, game hard crashes to desktop. And the battles don't save mid-battle. Uh, so you will be going back, like, whenever it was the last autosave, you'll be going back to that. You'll have to replay the whole battle. Hopefully it won't crash. The, but the other the other thing that has been probably my big disappointment is that, and, you know, you find the real conversations about this game are happening, you know, on, on Reddit, on Steam, uh, a little bit. People talking about, like, how, how, really, how good is this mod? Like, how much does it change things? And the existing community is, like, it's cool, but let's be real. Like, there's just fundamental flaws with this game. And there's parts of the code that modders can't get at. And that's where this game really fell apart in the first place. And no mod's going to fix that. You're just going to be 
going around it. And that's happened here too. Like it's been the big disappointment has been the real rap on Empire was kind of that the AI never knew how to play it on a strategic level, like a major enemy power would declare war on you and then never move an army out. They would never attack. You, they just sort of hang out in their cities waiting for you to roll them up. Uh, and because they couldn't build good armies, you would have advanced units and you'd just be rolling over like their trash tier units and and steamrolling them. That's still fundamentally the game, which really leeches a, a lot of the drama out of it. And so like, objectively this mod was a huge disappointment it's unstable it's a time sink can't stop playing it because the problem is when you get a goodish battle and you see like armies stretching from horizon to horizon wreathed in gun smoke and like artillery just like blasting huge uh like you know rivet rivets in the ground and such uh it is incredible and it almost lives up to the promise of like because because now with all those like custom units too there are so many different units and uniforms on the battlefield that just visually it's spectacular you know it's it's like you are watching the um uh the soviets made a like a a trilogy of war and peace uh movies the sergey bondarchuk uh war, war and peace things where i swear to god they enlisted like two or three divisions of the Red Army in like the 1960s and had those guys dress up in like Napoleonic uniforms and then just like shot the Battle of Bordino, uh, you know, in that movie with like n- no <laughs> no visual effects, basically just like tons like they put an actual army out there and had them do like army shit and filmed it. It was great. The game kind of looks like that. And the games always had like a really cool visual style and atmosphere. And so even though like it's irretrievably broken it's kind of like just repeated the core experience of empire where it has lured me in again with like we've given you the entire 18th century the entire world is your canvas all your favorite units are there drink deeply (laughs) enjoy yourself game's totally broken doesn't work can't fight you you are basically playing a series of like skirmish battles against really underwhelming ai and yet I'm sitting there, slack-jawed. Ooh, pretty uniforms. Ooh, look at those hussars charge. Ooh, they're forming square. I can't stop myself. This is a dark portrait of you, Rob. This is this is this is a grim portrait you're painting you're painting for us. I can't help it. It's it, these are just sights that stir the blood. Even if even if they are the, even if the game is horribly compromised, it turns out that watching these little bastards in their wool jackets and gold braid and their brass buttons, all of that, I'm like, yes, give me more. I don't care if it works. I don't care if it crashes. Oh, it crashed. I'll reload. Doesn't matter. I'm going back for more. A year in which there are so many games to play, and this is this is the path you have you have taken. is It's beautiful. It's it's truly you. Like you, it is it is as Rob Zachney as it gets. Patrick, this is research for Total War Pharaoh, uh-huh. which I'm getting cut <laughs> for in a few days. So really, you know, uh-huh. I think I am being I'm I'm really attending to the duties of my job. I see. I see. I see. I see. But anyway, yes, yeah, so that's 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 my caution, though, is when you see people like being really hype on YouTube about like Boy, this game, this mod just changes everything. You know, sometimes people say things on YouTube that are not true. They're always fucking like that. It's infuriating. 
One of these, <laughs> one of these days, it'll be accurate. Ah, the battlefield, the, not battlefield. The Jesus, the, the battle tech one was not was not was not bad. That no. one, that one was real. <laughs> yeah, that li- that lived up to a lot of a, lo- a lot of promise. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, so that that's sort of what I've been putting probably the most time into. Uh, Renkato, like you guys have been bitten in by any bugs lately? Mostly just gay Pinocchio. Yeah. yeah. Mostly, mm-hmm. mostly just been watching gay Pinocchio get defeated. Do we have that to was say the, gay that was the, that was huh? Uh, <laughs> What'd I you mean, say? Is gay Pinocchio redundant? <laughs> That's so true. Listen, I really wanted to say I was debating between Cotter, you're gonna have to bleep one of these. It's up to you to decide which. Okay. I was debating between <laughs> Pinocchio and I was All right, <laughs> so I think the first one. I think the first oh one. yeah, real yeah, real choice. In you know front what? Of really what could be funnier, and I might yeah. be, I might sleep easier is if you just bleep out the entire thing. Like Ren just went off on <laughs> a foul time raid, like an NFL <laughs> coach, mm-hmm. where it's just like beep and just like nothing. <laughs> No, I think that's really good. That's a good bit. Uh, but no, I've just been hanging out with I've been hanging out with Pinocchio. Um, been playing a, a completely unrelated a, a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon ROM hack. Um, been a, I've also I also saw someone go. This mod changes everything, and then I played it, and I went, "Oh, this is different. Nice, cool." Um, that's been that's been most of my gaming as of late. Where where did so in in Liza P, which I've played. Yeah. You're you're certainly further than me. No no great shock there. But I'm I'm where I'm, 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 I'm interested where you've landed on. We talked about this in the previous podcast. Where one of the differentiating parts of Liza P is that you a weapon is not just a, the weapon you find and then you know you use that weapon. Like part of what's cool about Liza P is that it is a like a handle and a blade, and you can mm-hmm. break those apart and use them in different ways to customize how you're how you're playing what attributes a weapon has in terms of like this one is a fire or this one swings a different way and how it scales based on the stats you've invested in. Mm-hmm. But how, how is that integrated into your flow of, of playing the game? Like where have you landed in terms of how you're managing weapons and how you change them up? So I've been mostly doing a dex build, uh, but I have found the handle that I like. I have found the handle that I truly like, and I like its blade well enough. I think its blade does a good enough job. That honestly, I have not really been like switching out my handle and blade that much since I like found the combination that I really liked, which is just the which regular is... booster glaive. I love okay. the booster glaive. Have you gotten that, Patrick? I think so. The one I liked because it just made my life easier was uh, it's a heavier weapon, but it's the one that comes with like the default. Uh, it's a heavier weapon, but it comes with the like does the electricity uh, damage. Mm, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not quite. It's not a quite a great hammer equivalent. It's more of a hammer equivalent uh, uh, in, in this world. This. Are you doing a um, strength build? No, I, 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 I was doing a dex build, but then was having so much trouble in the early right hours right. of the game that this. Like the move set worked for me, uh-huh. and the extra damage I was getting from the electricity boost was because mm-hmm. uh, it's before I'd gotten the. Did you? What do they? What do they call the left-handed arms in the, uh, in the legion game? arms? Right before I'd gotten like the electricity one of those, in which then I was like, okay, I'm now far enough in the game that I don't need to rely on a weapon that has a certain uh, elemental boost because I can I can find that in different ways, whether it's. You can, you know, sharpen your weapon to give it give it a boost, or you can use a an uh, a legion arm in order to, to get that uh, elemental boost. I think the guy the guy I don't know if this is how you found it, Patrick, but I saw it uh, from the uh, the merchant in the middle of that first area before the boss. Oh yeah, I just bought all of his weapons. Yeah, yeah the one yeah, that's yeah. in the hotel. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- I think that's where I got it. I think you're I think you're right. I mean, this game does have a ton of weapons. Like yeah. I'm seven hours in, and there are. 
like eight, nine, ten weapons that I that I can that I can uh, mess around with, including a fire axe, mm-hmm. which I don't want to use. But I like the fire axe. You like the so fire much. axe? Okay. Well, the fire we, axe we is ended really, up, oh, I was using. Yeah. Like, please cut it. Well, uh, speaking to the the thing, I think you've you've said that you've landed on one ren, but for yeah. a, the specific fight that we were streaming this week. You ended up having to go back and make a new weapon, choosing the well, fire no, axe. Well, no, I went. Head. I was returning. Re- I, I returned because return, I tried return, to use the fire axe glad. Right. Because basically, what happened was we were fighting a boss on stream, and that boss uh, I realized was like, oh, this boss is vulnerable to two things: cutting damage and fire damage. And so I was like, okay, the fire axe head that I'm using at the end of my booster glaive handle right now isn't working because it's a blunt weapon. I think I think that I think that because it is a blunt weapon, it is doing less damage. Um, and so I ended up swapping in the booster glaive and then like putting some extra upgrade points into that, uh, and then like ended up just completely shredding that boss um, because I had gotten pretty good at parrying all of the attacks uh and had just like really i just needed a damage boost to like push me over um to push me over the edge and i've just been sticking with the booster glaive for now but i do really like the boss weapons uh the boss weapons are distinct from regular weapons and like once you get boss weapons those cannot be broken apart so like the first boss weapon i got was an umbrella uh you have to turn those in i guess i haven't met that merchant right like it's the equivalent of like the soul, the boss soul drops that you get in yeah. mm-hmm. um, from software's games, where you can either nom nom nom, you can chew them up and get a ton of XP to to put into your uh, to your level up upgrades, or you can turn them in for a unique weapon. In the in FromSoft's games, broadly, I always kept them until about, about the end game, and then realized I don't want to use any of these yeah. boss mm-hmm. weapons, and then just consume like a shitload of souls so I can upgrade thirteen times before the final two bosses. But it's not like is that I guess a is that been your experience as well in the From games, and is that meaningfully different than how it's playing out in Lies of P? Uh, I like a boss weapon. I will say that I think Elden Ring is kind of interesting in this regard and that like I feel like Elden Ring was even even less interested in boss weapons. Like yeah. boss weapons were a fun thing you could do on the side, but for the most part the re- the way you are rewarded for playing Elden Ring is like for exploring the world. Like you find like if you think of like the Sword of Flame and Night, uh all of these other weapons, like you are rewarded them by finding them in the most powerful weapons you find, you don't take. Uh and like that is that is like an interesting part of like a lot of um, Elden Ring and like FromSoft's design broadly is like what weapons are actually like, what is the capital R reward? What does a rewarding weapon look like in those games? And in fact, it's not usually the boss weapons. I like the direction that they've taken them in Lies of P, which is to say that like the boss weapons are similar to the Souls games and that like they are gimmick weapons. They do one specific thing very well or have like a unique thing about them that like gives you a reason to find them interesting. So like the umbrella, for example, the umbrella does uh, a similar thing to the umbrella in Wild Hearts uh, like a year ago where I talked about really loving that game's umbrella because it was a parrying tool. Um, The umbrella in this game, if you use the heavy attack uh, with like the boss weapon umbrella, the umbrella opens up at the end uh, and like basically creates a temporary shield in front of hmm. you uh, that like bosses can like bounce off of. And it's like, it's, it's, it basically is a way to like, okay, cool. I'm going to get greedy 
and go for some extra damage here. And I know that the boss is going to hit me and like hit this, this shield. And so I'm going to take guard regain, but like I can accept getting hit here because I know that I'm going to get another hit and like will not be staggered. Well, especially um, if you're doing, if you're going for the, the stagger attack, I could imagine right. that be, so in, in lies of P you, like as you attack, you are building up an invisible meter that then uh, like you'll see the health bar on the, on the enemy or the boss it applies to to both turn white. And then you have a period of time where if you do a, a strong attack, a heavy attack that you can set them up for a visceral a vis- attack, strong attack to stagger attack to visceral attack, you know, where you can like do a really big attack that takes off a big chunk of their HP. And so that seems like that would be a very cool way. Cause often you can, you, you'll go for the strong attack to try and stagger them and get animation interrupted in in the process um, or attack through, and that sounds like a way to mitigate some of that as you as you go for it. Yeah, it's it's really neat, uh, and I think it's like an interesting. I think it's a good approach to boss weapons. It's like make them very particular. The other thing that those can be used for those souls is that they can be turned into amulets, uh, which are the games like effectively like rings. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing about these is, again, they have chosen the path of the the capital U, useful to everyone items, are what you find in the world. The boss stuff is weird, like, additional things that, like, have a huge trade-off. Uh, so, for example, like, one of the boss amulets, one of the ones that I'm using, increases the amount of damage that I do after a perfect block. So if I get a perfect guard, I then just get higher damage for, like, the rest of, like, the, like, the next, like, couple of seconds. And I should theoretically always be getting perfect guards. And so, like, it's just, like, a flat damage buff. But uh, the problem is that that weighs 10 pounds. And that is a lot of weight in this game. And so all of the boss amulets have been really heavy. I have put in... I have put more points into the equip load stat in Lies of P than I think any Souls game I've ever played. You almost never... Like, you're always doing it kind of on the margins in a Souls game where... Oh, I put on this like set of armor or equip this weapon. Okay, I'll just put like a point or two in or take off this like but I actually found that in similarly in my time with Liza P, I was doing more equip load management or having to think about it in a way that I just haven't in yeah. um in other Souls games. I'm just trying to strap more guns onto this wayfish <laughs> twink and his weak <laughs> His, his his weak, weak malnourished frame. body is like not able to, to is not able to handle yeah. the amount of swords I'm trying to attach to this boy's back. I can't do my Elden Ring build of lady who walks into the arena with eight weapons tied to her back and can't stop switching between them. Well, yeah, because the game lets you switch between. You can have two weapons equipped at once, but I, to this point, have not. I have just had a single weapon equipped because I'd have to dump. And at some point, I should just eat it and get enough points so that I can have that second weapon. Do you have two weapons at once, or are you oh, no. are you just doing one? Okay. I'm just doing, especially because the weapon I have is heavy. I yeah. like like the yeah. booster glaive is a heavy weapon. It's like 15, 16 pounds total. Yeah. Um. So it's like a, it's a heavy piece of 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 equipment, but also it's like really good. Uh, the booster glaive is a dex based great sword. Uh, effectively, uh, it has a great sword esque move set. 
I was going to say, um, that seems to go against the nature of Dex to then also be a great sword. So <laughs> the reason, the way that they're justifying, I think, is that there's uh-huh. a little there's a little j- rocket attached to the back of the glaive. Oh, and that it helps the movement is mm-hmm. so stop being so heavy. So Right. So it's about controlling. That's good. Can you, That's are you good. dexterous enough to be able to control what is effectively like a runaway train of a sword? Are you, de- are you dexterous enough to control this great sword? <laughs> And it's like, that's really fun. And like, the thing is that like the moveset adjustments that that handle gives you, you can attach to any blade. And so like, yeah, Mm. you can really like get weird with it. Uh, I really liked my like booster glaive fire axe. It gave like this like really cool vibe of like, I could see why someone would make this like this, right? I can see why you would want a fire axe with a jet attached to it because like, oh, you can just like smash through anything. That's great. I think that's a really fun like a, a fun little story got told with how those weapons were put together. Um, and I've, I've been, I've been really appreciating that fact of the game so far. I'm re- I'm really interested to finally respec. I think that when I get the ability to like respec my character, I'm going to take a couple of points out of decks and put them into the game's magic stat, which is called advance uh, and see what the, some of the like status effect heads to weapons are, are like, one attached to my to my little glaive, or alternatively, attaching my glaive to weapons that like are really good with advance, and like seeing how that goes. I think it'll I think it'll be fun to like play around more with that stuff. Well, status effects are just more important, like is, are given a higher priority in this game relative yeah. to other Souls games, like in which like yes, you can poison, you can fight, like there are you, there, you can play with elemental effects, but you are given great advantages for playing in that space here than my experience in, in comparative games. Well, and also a lot of opportunities to do that, right? Like there are spells that will enchant your weapon in a Souls game, and there are like items that will enchant your weapon in a Souls game. But like the thing that Lies of P encourages you is it basically just like hands you a thing and says once per... Have you gotten the grinder yet, Patrick? Yeah, I just got the fire one. Perfect. So yeah, basically what Lies of P does is, is is it goes, let me give you an additional resource on top of your Estus flasks. In addition to like your Estus flask equivalent, the other thing that recharges when you die or go to a bonfire is your ability to apply uh, an element to your weapon. Every character has the ability to apply an element to their weapon, and doing that is important in some of these fights. It's like an important way to get a leg up. Um... Like electric, like electric damage early in the early areas of the game, like that was why I stuck with that heavy kind of mm-hmm. hammer weapon because it just it it allowed me to the parts of the parrying <clears throat> that weren't connecting for me meant that I was just wasn't doing enough damage in an individual fight, getting frustrated. And then once I embraced this weapon with the elemental, the electric damage, I was just doing more damage in a fight, so I could then get more into a rhythm. I could calm down with the game and. Yeah. uh and eventually the reason I got rid of that weapon is because I got the fire grinder um, and I, that it's already has a base level electric element and you can't add fire on top of that. So the fire grinder doesn't do anything. So it seems silly to me to have that be intrinsic to the weapon. I'd rather that just be additive to the weapon mm-hmm. and like use it situationally because my guess is I can find a weapon that I actually like more as like a base level thing I'm swinging and then just add fire electric to it when, when necessary. Or you could just change out the head. 
Like that's right. the other thing is if you, if you only want a little bit of elemental damage, you can accept that you're just not going to have any stat boosts to your elemental damage and only use it to apply status effects by taking an elemental head and putting it on like a different like body. Um, and, and then suddenly like, instead of doing, uh, 50 plus 45 and 50 plus 45, instead you're doing 50 plus 90 and 50 plus zero. And like, I'm happy with the 140 plus 50, like it's the same number, you get the same number in the end, but like the distribution right. allows for some like expression in terms of like how you personally are interested in like doing damage and engaging in this world. Because like, if you go that elemental path, suddenly you're going to be like, staggering will become less important to you versus for like a play style like mine, where if I don't stagger an enemy, I'm going to be killed. Uh, the way that I'm using the booster glaive is just like using it in such a way that accepts that I will have to take damage at times uh, because of the like long recovery period after my big hits. Uh, but I need those big hits to stagger enemies. And so I'm willing to take that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And like, I will say that is a fun decision to be making in this mm-hmm. game that I feel like I was making much less frequently in the other Souls games, right? Well, not the other Souls games. This is, that's a, a very funny way yeah, to phrase yeah, yeah. this. But uh, in other Souls games, I feel like I'm making more interesting decisions about like how I want to approach Lies of P. And maybe that's because I just got off of Armored Core. And like leaving Armored Core is... It, playing Armored Core really helps me understand why builds are fun in games and like why we... Why we why different approaches are like and like how to make a different approach actually feel good. And I think that Lies of P actually makes its different approaches to combat almost as engaging as FromSoft does while making it so much more approachable in terms of how you actually like put those pieces together. Um, well, there's I, no con- it was like similar to Phantom Liberty. I, there's no consequences to any of your choices. Like, or AC6. It's like exactly uh, the same thing with like Phantom Liberty and AC6 is that like there are no consequences. You can just change shit out. You can just right. sell things. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm been really impressed at how completely that can change the feel of these games is to like take the pressure off in this one way that suddenly makes it less about attrition and more about expression uh which i which i find like interesting especially in high difficulty games i feel like that is like all the more important to have to reduce that friction on the player expression because frequently if the game is asking you to change your expression in order to accomplish a goal the friction you introduce to even do that expression is it seems it seems silly and 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 misguided and so i'm i'm always just let people respect just like let people do whatever they want like create the, those friction points elsewhere and so it's it's nice in a game like lies of, lies of p where like you know you if you create you can't like create nine different weapons from the same materials it'll ask you like hey this is going to break apart the previous thing you made but it, it, that takes all of 30 seconds to put it back. Like, it's just right. seamless. Like, mm-hmm. it is just, you get to a checkpoint, and then, hey, you want to experiment here? Try this against a new mini-boss that you're having some trouble with? Like, go with God. Well, I don't know if God exists in this world. Um, in fact, I think God abandoned this world, uh, frankly. Um, <laughs> is Geppetto God? Geppetto is your God now. <laughs> Deal with it. I, I believe, do people call him the God of Puppets? I've, I've it, heard people use the phrase the god of puppets. I've heard no. king of puppets and king god of puppets. Of puppets. That's king like, of those puppets. are two different guys. Oh. The king of puppets exists on some sort of island. Um, uh, uh, is, oh, I, I heard, there are okay. allusions to a 
island of puppets that right, has right, a course. king of puppets. I am assuming that is some sort of big bad mm. um, Patrick, deeper into the game. I'm about to, I think I'm about to go fight the king of puppets. I've been sure okay. I'm about to go to the, I think it happens a little bit earlier than you expect. Cool. Good. Um, also, like the the other cool thing is that like there the game communicates its like enemy categories very well, uh, such that like you can figure out an enemy's weakness at a glance if you have like learned the broad factions. You can look at an enemy and go, "Oh, cool! I know which element to use against them." Like so far, Patrick has only, to my knowledge, only been fighting the puppets. Um, Pretty. Much. I just got to the introduction where you go up the elevator. And then you get introduced to a new type of. And you see the annihilation uh, guys. You see yes. the, the Last of Us slash annihilation guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, the Last of Us annihilation guys are, 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 are. The game tells you this pretty much explicitly, like immediately. They're weak to fire. Um, that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Is that like their weird acid blood uh, is like super flammable, uh, and so that I really appreciate that like the structure of the game as well, which is like, hey, welcome to the game. Here's this first faction of enemies. This is how they fight. This is the weapon that you, this is the element you should use against them. Great. Here's a fire grinder. Now go meet these guys. This is mm-hmm. how they fight. This, and like the boss at the end of that really, because I fought that boss on stream, the boss at the end of that area felt like a real, okay, have you learned how this type of enemy fights? Have you learned how you have to approach these enemies that like do for the most part do not use weapons you cannot break their weapons like blah 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 like how do you how do you approach this combat encounter and like you have to approach it differently and like that's really cool and i've been like really impressed by how well structured lies of p has been so far i think it's like a really impressive like game agreed it was awesome to hear i was i was concerned that it would be really long on style and not deliver mm-hmm. deliver the goods, uh, but it seems like it's it's hit across the board. That seems that seems really cool. Uh, Patrick, just last bits of housekeeping. Uh, did you want to get into this Ghost Runner thing? Nah, we can talk about it later. I play the demo for Ghost Runner too, but yeah. um, we can talk about it later. I also played uh, like right before I left. I did the preview for the new Forza, uh, but now we are so mm-hmm. close to that game actually coming out that I'm not sure it's 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 worth getting into. Like it was a it was a cool demo. Uh, you know, the game, they seem to have leaned hard on the spectacle of some of their circuits and just the the, the look of the racing in a way that uh, if, if Gran Turismo 7 is all about, like, trying to make being very hard, like high on the realism. And that also means being a little bit understated in terms of some of the, the presentational aspects. I think Forza's like cranked up a little bit the 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 presentation it's, there's a little bit more um we'll see how this bear this this call shot bears up when i when i play it in play the the final release build but it reminded me a bit of the need for speed shift series where it is playing up a little bit of that like what would it feel like if you were in not necessarily a sports car but a movie mm-hmm. about someone who drives sports cars and that's that's kind of the difference. <laughs> and that kind of feels like where where Forza is is at. It was cool. I, I dug it. I'm I'm excited mm-hmm. to play more. Um, though I will say this is just a this is just a broader thing. Once again, I found myself like struggling with a slightly inscrutable interface that just kind of left me cold in terms of like uh, the the way the menus the, the the menu logic in that game, and that dovetailed with the fact that my Xbox was like, and here's the new Xbox interface, and I think it's worse. 
And it's once again like, okay, <laughs> Phil, that's another thing I didn't see come up in those leaks. You got to figure out, like, why can't we produce a console that is pleasing to interact with? Uh, it, like, I feel like I'm fighting. <laughs> they're all bad. Have you, they're all, they're all like the PS5 interface. Ba- like the one that Nintendo has. No, I, I disagree. Like, I think you like touching that why, home button on the PS5 the controller in order to to get to like the game base and all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, but okay. The the thing is, I find it. The 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 PlayStation at least it's very quick for me to get the interface out of the way and into the thing I want. Sure, I feel like with the Xbox, I'm constantly like, okay, where is the next thing I want to play? Because the thing is so has so prioritized. Like, let's get you back into whatever were the last things you were just doing, and it's like, yeah, but I own a lot of games, and sometimes I want to play other ones, or there's like new stuff I want to check out. But now they've like I feel really hamstrung in terms of how that interface is laid out because they had to reserve space for their promotional carousel, uh, even more space for a promotional carousel uh, on their interface that like now it increasingly feels like uh, I mean, if, if you own one of these, you know how damning in comparison this is. When I turn on the Xbox, it's like being forced to play games through an LG TV. Like through the LG TV interface where it's like. Got him. I don't know what that means. I'm, just, I'm feeling like that's the. I know. I feel like that's the, the slam you're going for. Okay. The point is, LG used to have a very clean, minimal interface, and then they were like, "We want to be. We don't want to be a TV company. We want to be the company that connects you with experiences." And so now their interface is like, "Hey, you ever heard of these movies?" And it's like, "Yes." And if I wanted to watch them, I'd use many of the services that are connected to the fucking TV. But instead, it's like constantly trying to steer you toward the stuff that like LG wants you to like lean on. Like, hey, you ever checked out LG channels? It's like YouTube TV, but garbage. <laughs> and the Xbox interface kind of has that same energy where it's like, hang on, just quick thing. Mina's very upset about enchantification. Uh, and today, Mina, come here, baby, come here. And today's enchantification is MK leaving on a business trip, mm-hmm. uh, which ah. is that's the ultimate enchantification in the mm-hmm. life of a dog. But uh, yeah, so like the the Xbox interface just just constantly feels like I am being uh, kept from just like finding the stuff I want to find and like being yeah. able to lay it out the way I want. Uh, and it's it's re- it's really frustrating. And this and to have this be the vaunted like we're fixing the interface here it comes and it's this is is really <laughs> obnoxious. Uh, uh, oh, actually, update. Uh, actually, it's that there's a new box of dog toys that's been delivered. Ah, so that's what's that's what's going on. She uh, knows. All right. <laughs> Let's read a couple letters before we uh before we take off here. Our first one comes from Tom in Florida. Hi, Mappers. I know this is a little unlikely given your careers, but have you ever been in a gaming slump? It's been a long time since I've been able to sit down and really devote time to a game. I've bounced off so many games lately, most recently Rain Code, I wish it was Danganronpa 4, and Baldur's Gate 3. I'm paralyzed by choice and FOMO. There's a chance I could play Starfield, but I dropped Fallout 4 after 20 hours, and also I hear it has an Imagine Dragons song, and I don't think that's something I can bear. Do you have any thoughts about breaking out of a gaming slump? Wow. Mm. 
I think gaming slumps are, slumps are actually kind of an occupational hazard. Yeah, for, yeah. for us, yeah. like Constant. in terms of because, like, in like this job divorces your interest and excitement from a game from like needing to play it, and that happens like really early. So it's it's real easy to end up in a place where like. What do I want to play? And that entire mechanism of like knowing what you want to play and putting that into action just gets kind of broken. Doesn't work. Anymore, and yeah. so like that's that's kind of an occupational hazard. So I think we're probably all old hands at finding ourselves in a in a bit of a gaming slump. Um, and this this all sounds very familiar. I think it's a, there there is a lot of there's the analysis paralysis. Mm. But I think the the first thing that Tom mentions here is like. Uh, it's kind of rare now. It feels rare to be able to devote time to a game. And I think that's kind of fundamentally what lies behind a lot of these slumps is that, you know, we talk a lot about the attention economy and such, or at least like suits do right in terms of, uh, you know, how to monopolize as much of our leisure time as possible and get, get us engaging with their service or whatever. And the thing is, I think games in a lot of ways, you know, from their first, they were, like a lot of them tended to be big time sinks. But if you look back at like a lot of those older games, they weren't that long compared to how long games have mm-hmm. have gotten uh, and how we assess value of games. But I think the other part is a lot of formative years for games. Like I think people used to be less busy. A lot of us when we started like becoming gamers, we were kids and led the lives of kids where, you know, the, like they were relatively less busy and (laughs) overbooked and high pressure as adult life. Well, I also think that like, you know, games designed around like extraction of content, right? Like games built to like be content extraction devices. Don't just change how we like, don't just change the experience of playing that game, but like how we talk about games broadly and like how we approach them as like, as like objects. Um, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like this is a, a, a major point of contention and the thing that will ideally be re- released by the time you're listening to this podcast. Um, uh, ideally the video will be, will be out by then. But like, I, I talk about this a lot because like, I think that like there is a real thing to identify in like the games that this person like lists here, right? Like Starfield, Fallout 4, Etc. are like all games oriented around extraction uh, and like a very particular like way of like investing time uh, and and an understanding of like what the player's time actually means uh, that I think like makes them particularly hard to engage with if you are not the kind of person who can put infinite time into them and therefore generate as much profit as possible for you know the 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 company that is that is uh, you know releasing that particular product. Also, sometimes embrace the slump. In yeah. terms, of, you yeah. know what I mean. Like it's okay to just not. I mean, it's not okay for any of us. We, like we don't. You got to buck up and play fucking video games. So you can talk about it, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's okay to even if it's like your primary medium of interest. No, you can't make me, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, your Rob's version of that is like. I'm going to download a total war mod and play that for 20 hours. Like that's, that's how Rob works through, works through his slums, but it's okay to like return. (laughs) It's okay to just not watch one of those, like not play a game, like read a book, like find some other media that you find interesting, find some like other piece of media that like is engaging to, but like, also I will say that like personally, when I like find myself in these slumps, I often realize that it is not just, I am struggling to find games that I am interested in playing. It is more that like 
oh no, I am struggling to find value or meaning in anything. Like, I think that is like one of the, the thing that I would be, I would be cautious of is to like pay attention to like your relationship to other things in your life. And like, if you find yourself disengaging from a lot of things and like, you know, feeling disconnected from your primary hobby can be like one of the first signs that like you are in a place in which like you should, you should, you should take try take account of how you feel about things. Sorry. There's someone who is actively yeah. laying into their horn outside of my building and it's very hard to speak. I apologize. <laughs> uh, one of the oddly enough we have one of those uh in our building but it's a school bus uh the school bus comes through every morning and the driver just loses their shit uh being like where the fuck are those kids those kids are supposed to be out here and getting on the bus oh and they just like just go berserk on the horn uh to the point where i'm like do you have the temperament to be a school bus driver like is this do you enjoy this do no, you enjoy waiting the ca- for the kids Rob, with their clumsiness Rob, and their awkwardness Rob, no this that no like the weeks the because lots of daycares and other places just aren't paying attention and they have to stick to a schedule and everyone that like you like it's a cat like the decisions those bus drivers have to make on how long they stay and like the consequences of like a kid like it's yeah. no it, it no the it sucks to be a bus driver <laughs> like it sucks like that is I, I have watched them this call's gotten really badly out of sync okay it's not just me yeah it's pretty tough no, calls horribly out of sync. The all right, let's get is, out of here. Uh, the lag is like, it's like we all lost chemistry with each other immediately. Uh, yeah, but I think the last thing I'd say to that point is, uh, you know, what, what Ren was talking about there was that that broader, like having struggling to engage with other stuff. That can be a sign of like, just how are you feeling about things? But also, I, I just think there's a lot of structure of life that can make mm-hmm. it hard to set time aside for any of the things that require like time investment to really get the most out of like you need to be able to book that space where you're not going to be half thinking about five other things and if if you know your leisure time is sort of half occupied by a bunch of other things it's going to be hard to play games it's going to be hard to read books it's going to be hard to watch movies mm-hmm. uh, i think sort of one of the the traps of the attention economy is that it's a lot of like here's content slurry for you to sort of half pay attention to and half engage with while you're just sort of passing time and you can feel at least like you're not working, you're relaxing, but are you? And I think that, you know, it's sort of that feeling manifests in, in spaces like this. Um, And frequently I think the, the thing that can really bust you out of it is, actual time off if you can get it right like it's that can you get yourself a few days an extra long weekend to have that uncommitted time where you don't feel like i should be doing other things and instead you can just like drink deeply and and have these experiences uh that that's usually the the cure in some way the last thing i would recommend is is and this is what i do when like i have i have gone through all the possibilities i'm not severely depressed i'm in a slump uh and it's not like Take a look at some criticism for like something you really love. That is the thing that I have found is that like looking at other people caring about and engaging deeply with things is a really good way to remind yourself how you like to engage and care deeply about things. Um, Maybe this is just because like I am a huge nerd for criticism, but like genuinely it really helps me a lot to remind me to like remind myself why I do this and like why I care about this work so much to like 
go back and watch things. And then like, suddenly that knocks me out of a slump because I remember like what it actually means to like care about like media and, and the world around you. And sometimes it's good to just realize like, Hey, there's other games I just like more and they're not the new ones. And I'm going to go yeah. play those. <laughs> That's good. That, that can work. Uh, all right. Last convenient. question here. Uh, just cause <laughs> I, I think, I don't think there'll be juice left in this one uh, after this week, but uh, Elizabeth writes, the meme is everywhere, but I've got to know how often does Rob think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> Given Rob's pension for history, I would have to think at least semi-regularly. <sighs> My guesses for the rest of the crew are Patrick. Not at all. Cato, once or twice a year with an intense fixation. Ren, more than you might think. Anyway, loving the pods and streams, couldn't be happier than seeing my subscriber dollars funding Patrick getting into the hot tub meta of Twitch. All the best, Elizabeth from NARM, aka Melbourne, Australia. NARM. Are Elizabeth's guesses good? NARM. NARM. <laughs> Patrick, do you ever think about the Roman Empire? No, the first time I thought about it was when I saw the meme. Incredible. Cato. The 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 pattern Constantly. the pattern is right the subject is wrong right like that happens with other things but not I don't think specifically with the Roman Empire now. Is there a historical thing though you find yourself just like my thoughts go my thoughts are going to this? Um, not, not I don't think a historical thing in particular no, but just like the pattern of like a subject, not like a specific. Like, like the other weekend, I watched all of the history of the Seattle Mariners, the uh, secret base, you know, seven part, a more over seven hour documentary about the. And you just watched the Minnesota Vikings one. Sorry, that that's the one I was talking about. That, oh, the, <laughs> no, no, the, the, Wait, the Minnesota Vi- the Minnesota Vikings one is the one I watched. Okay. I, I I said Seattle Mariners, but uh, it was a minute, and I and I've I've started the um, Atlanta Falcons one, and it's just like oh, so every me- every once in a while I get, especially because I've I've enjoyed John Boyce's stuff in the past. Like it's just like he's got a real talent, and him and the team over at uh, Secret Base have a really real talent for making that subject interesting even if you're like me more removed from it on like a following like day-to-day like actual seasons uh uh way like i found those videos really really entertaining and that'll happen every once in a while and then i'll like not pay attention to football for like years (laughs) ren i think about the roman empire all the time (laughs) i have a disease like i don't know what you want from me like i I, I have listened to, I've been re-listening to all of the seasons of Blowback, the show about the mm. American Empire, uh, in real quick succession, and I played Armored Core 6 recently, like, I'm thinking about Rome, don't you worry, <laughs> don't you worry, I am, I am devoting mental energies to aqueducts, I am devoting mental energies mm. to uh, foolish emperors, I am devoting mental energies to an empire that has grown so large that it can no longer actually be really consi- like considered like an, a, a, an actual political and like social organization, and has instead become a secret third thing that describes more of like a vibe than it does a <laughs> actual like set of beliefs and practices. Um, don't worry, Rob, I'm pondering empire. 
yeah, I'm uh I definitely am thinking a fair bit about uh both the Roman Empire and the the late Republic. I'm I'm all I'm on it, folks. Uh but also but what like, about the, high but the funny thing is there's nothing special about Rome. Like I <laughs> Uh, I don't think about that at all, and I won't <laughs> until they make me. Uh, but uh, the you know the, the the thing is like I I think about the Roman Empire and all that shit about as uh, less often than I think about stuff like World War Two or World War One. Uh, less often than I think about uh, you know the Hellenic Age. Uh, but you know it's I'm constantly thinking about history shit. And uh, so th- this stuff is just sort of on on rotation. Uh, I just I think about the the Romans probably less often than you think because I think the Romans are profoundly boring. Wow! Uh, this is the disappoint like this is the disappointing thing about the Romans is they just don't got the juice. Uh, their defining characteristic is like man, like you know, real Roman is stoic and boring and uh, you know. Basically, just like all about serving, serving the country, serving his city, uh, and going conquering other people. And then the actual history is, ah, oh, damn it, we just can't do it. If only we went back to being good Romans and having good Roman virtue instead of getting fucked up on wine all the time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is like they're just kind of. I find them kind of grating ultimately. Like they have a big empire, but also I'm like, God, you people are boring, and that probably helped you build the empire. But just just loathsome in in a lot of places. It starts getting interesting toward the end. It starts getting really interesting toward the end when like all the wheels are off, and increasingly like what's Roman even? And then then you got me back yeah. in. But in terms of like ah the marble statues, all that stuff, these people suck, man. Yeah, they were they they were they were awful, and even the good ones were awful, like Cicero. Uh oh, who pressed that button? Uh oh! I think I killed I, Rob. There it is. Lost the. Oh my God, All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Remap Radio. You can listen to and support <laughs> everything we do by going to Remap Radio. We're t- we're getting out of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This call is dying. Uh, you can support everything we're doing at RemapRadio.com. You can follow us across Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon. Uh, threads where we we cross post things there. Although if you want the funny clips of a spider scaring me in Kingsfield, or to see my toes in a hot tub, you have to go on Twitter because it's the only place I can schedule videos to go out. Or on TikTok. Um, Whenever you uh, do one of those, I put the I, I make a TikTok version. And, oh, and, and then I guess we're all, okay. And an Instagram version, yeah. Perfect. Look at this synergy. So <laughs> yeah. Social, all the media, all, the, all the social medias. <laughs> You can see Patrick's toes um, on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. You got to stay away from platforms that there's like a chance my children could see. Um, and uh, yeah, like when you when this comes out, uh, Rob, Kato, and I might be playing some uh, Payday 3. Uh, we had sports this week. HOA will be back next week. A lot of stuff going on uh, here at Remap. And, um, oh, and I can't say what it is yet, but next week's Remap Radio could be a special one. Could be a special one. I don't want to jinx it. Uh, oh. but, uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> there, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't want, I want to say it. I don't want to put it into the world until it actually happens. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So stay tuned uh, for all that. Uh, we'll see everyone next week. Fuck capitalism. Go home. 
Wait, can I plug my thing on the way out? Oh yeah, please. Do. Sorry, I, I, I do your little do your little personal capitalism. Let's go. Thank you. Sorry, it's like very important that I this if I if I cash in on one thing if I cash in on one thing asking people to look at a thing it is it is going to be this I it, this is this is me cashing in if I would really appreciate it if ideally by the time this is out you can go to youtube.com and and search the words why we can't stop mapping Elden Ring uh, and a video will show up. Uh, that I have published, uh, which is a video about um, Elden Ring, the guide's economy, and like the relation, the odd relationship that video games have, the unique relationship that video game maps have to the territories that they supposedly represent. Uh, and that is going to be about like a 30-minute video, uh, which will also ideally uh, launch a video essay Patreon um, at patreon.com slash Ren or Raven. Uh, and... So yeah, that is what I have been working on for the last few months, and it is finally done as of the time that you are listening to this. Uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on it right after this podcast. Um, and so yeah, that is what I've been working on. Wait, you on, haven't exported it yet? I have not exported it yet. No, okay. Kato, I've not the, exported it yet. Kato's cackling. Kato's cackling. No, we're going to put good vibes into yeah, the yeah, world. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not pushing it. I'm not pushing it. I've been pushing Please. the release date of this thing every time we talk about it, just based on pure estimates of how like your video sucks. It was it had nothing to do with Ren's abilities video in video. Sucks. Video sucks. I was like, that's why last week I said... Maybe between this 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 <laughs> podcast and the next podcast. Now yeah. I'm I'm on your side tomorrow. Thank you. Thank when tomorrow. this podcast is out, yeah, today, today. for the listener. <laughs> today we'll go support that over at Patreon.com/slash Renner Raven and at YouTube.com/slash. What is it? What was the search? It should also it should all uh, the just the, if you want to search the video, just search why we can't stop mapping Elden Ring, which is the YouTube title versus the real title, which is a reference to a Jorge Luis Borges story because I'm annoying. Ah. <laughs> Well, fuck capitalism, go home. <laughs>